Daily Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 89, live from the U.S. Sport Aviation Expo 2015, coming up in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Zyko, Sean Moody, Eric Crump, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Well, folks, welcome to a special episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. We are here live at the U.S. Sport Aviation Expo 2015, and I'm here with uh, a very cold co-host. I, I didn't get a weather briefing today, so I'm wearing a sweatshirt and shorts, which no one else is. But obviously, Eric Crump, who's here with me today, he did get the proper briefing. It's wonderful being here. It's a terrific day because there's airplanes around. And it's exciting to be at the U.S. Sport Aviation Expo because it's the Affordable Aircraft Expo. Welcome, Eric. I thought you were going to say it was exciting to be here because I was here. Eric, it is always exciting. That goes, goes without saying. Eric, you are stomping your feet, walking around, but tell me a little bit about why you're excited to be here. Well, first of all, let me, I've got to give credit where credit is due. I did not get a weather briefing. I have a good wife who had already looked at the weather, and as I was walking out of the, the house in my polo shirt, she's like, you should really put on some sleeves. And I was like, why? And that, then I looked at the weather. So that, that credit goes to the wife. Um, but I love this show. I've, I've actually been to all of them, every single one of them since, the, since they started doing them. And I love this show, first of all, because of the, just the, the type of aviation that goes on here. I love all aviation, but that, that recreational flying, I do it for fun. I do it because I love it. That's, it's in my blood. It's, that's how I started when I was 13 years old. Um, and so I love this kind of flying. I love looking at this 152 in front of me right now because that's the airplane I learned to fly in. We got a ton of hours in one. And I, I just I love the light sports. I like flying them. And uh, everything about the show, the audience that comes here, their interest in aviation, it's infectious. I, I just really enjoy it. It's one of my favorite shows all year. Well, Eric, we have some really cool interviews that we're going to have come up here. We're going to go around and talk to some of the people that have aircraft. And also, there's more than just aircraft, and there's people that are have seminars. There's people that teach here. Uh, we have somebody that actually has a uh, safety demo he does, water survival. We have another person who talks about uh, your safety as far as are you safe to fly and, and whether your attitudes are safe for flying. There's all sorts of neat stuff that happens here. All the aviation organizations, AOPA, EAA, um, and the, uh, gosh, the Recreational Aviation Foundation. There's, there's all people that are passionate about aviation. People don't realize, though, this is more of a type of an expo. Uh, it's not so much the air show. So one of the things that I enjoy most is I can get, and get up close and personal with people and talk to them for quite some time. You've been here quite a bit. Tell me, tell me your experiences from times past. Yeah, I, I love this expo because you can get your hands on everything. Um, you know, you're, I, I love Sun and Fun. We've talked about Sun and Fun a lot. It's right down the road from me. I'm there before it starts till after it got, you know, I would stay there all day long. I, I love Sun and Fun for what it is. But this is completely different than that. Um, it is a smaller show in terms of the number of, uh, you know, exhibits that are available um, and, and the number of people that come to it. It's not, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people. But 
because of that, you can get your hands on all the new aviation technology. You can get in the airplanes. You can walk around them. You can talk to the people who have hundreds and hundreds of hours flying these things around. So it's a lot more, like you said, it's a lot more one-on-one. -on -one, and that's one of my favorite things about the show. It's always been that way. And, you know, we, we look over, you know, where we're standing, where all the airplanes are. But then you go just, you know, a couple hundred yards that way, and it's powered parachutes, and it's trikes, and gyrocopters, all kinds of cool stuff. And I, and I love that. And, and there's, uh, there's RVs and, and all kinds of cool stuff here, too. It's not just airplanes, and I like that. You can walk around here in 30 minutes and see tons and tons of stuff. You know, since, Eric, you're one of the few people I know that has actually been to every one of these. Obviously, don't comment on this one because we just started the show. Uh, how have you seen things progress? Are, are you seeing more excitement in the LSA arena? And also, tell us a little bit about the show. I mean, when the, when the LSA thing first got started, no one knew what it was. And everybody thought it was going to be this, you know, um, well, these little kit planes. And they weren't going to be properly maintained and all this. And, well, no, these are production airplanes. I mean, they're... They're, they're certified, not to the same, you know, standard that, you know, your Cessna 172s and whatever, but they have their own standard of certification. The FAA does uh, sign off on their certifications. And um, I don't know, I've just, I've seen it go from that, oh, those weird people over in a corner <laughs> to, uh, to a really a mainstream event that people fly into. I mean, I actually came in through the terminal this morning when I came in, and there's a lot of airplanes parked here. People flew in for this today, and it'll be even bigger uh, as, the, as we get into the weekend. When people are flying in, they want to come in and see what's going on. And I, I, love, I love that about this show. Let's comment on one more thing before we get out and start doing some interviews. Uh, the light sport. Uh, a lot of comments that I hear from people are that it's truly not that, that affordable. Well, I like to uh, tell them to put into perspective. Uh, I feel, and I'd like to get your opinion, that it is affordable compared to the other options for a brand new aircraft. Uh, the people that I talk to are people that are going out of a Bonanza into a light sport. They want to downsize. They want something that's less expensive to operate on a continual basis. Plus, they don't want to have the hassles of getting a medical all the time. Those are the type of people we're looking at. Also, the people that want to get into aviation and buy something brand new as opposed to an old 172. So that excites me. You do see some more movement and a lot more serious talks. What else about light sport do you like? The, I love light sports for training, to be honest with you. I mean, you know that we use several on our training line at Polk State College, and um, I love them because they actually make you fly the airplane. Now, I love a 172. You're never going to hear me say anything bad about it. But when it comes to training, it's just an easy airplane to fly. It's, you know, you put your feet on the floor and just have a nice time. It's very forgiving. Um, with the light sports, though, um, much more affected by the wind. Um, you have to use your feet. When you're landing in a crosswind, you're going to have to use your feet. I know, that's strange. Um, but uh, it's an important skill. You know, we used to take people and teach them how to fly in Cubs and T-Craft and stuff like that, where, you know, they had those basic flying skills, and then they moved up to more advanced airplanes. Well, now they're starting off in more advanced airplanes where you don't actually have to, you've got the autopilot in there, you turn it on, and, and there's, there's something to be said for that. There's a skill there. But I think, uh, you know, as, as a pilot community, I think we've lost a lot of basic flying skills. And I like that the light sports, when I fly them, and I've got a lot of hours, but even when I get back in one, I mean, it's okay. Now, it's, it's work time. You know, we're not in here just to play around. It's fun, but you're actually flying the airplane. You feel like you're flying the airplane. And I, I love that about the aircraft. And I think for that reason, they become really outstanding for training. This is a anecdotal story. You know, we have students all the time who will finish their private in the light sport and they move to the 172 and start doing some instrument work and they say, man, this thing is so easy to fly. Why weren't we using this in our initial training? I said, you just answered your own question. 
Excellent. You know, these are, are real airplanes for real people, I always say, because this is affordable. Uh, it also it teaches you how, how to fly, just like you said, the stick and rudder skills. Hey, Eric, you know, instead of us sitting here and, and talking all about light sport, we need to get out there and, and check out some of these really cool airplanes and, and some of the passionate people that are out there in aviating. I think what we should actually do, I'm going to let you go and talk to all the airplane people, and I'm going to go and rate all the food, and then we can we can get back afterward. I'll, I'll eat all the food, you check out all the airplanes, and then we'll reconvene at the end. How about that? So who gets to do the test flights? Okay, well, you you talk about the airplane. I'll fly them for you. I'll fly them. You talk. You do all the setup, and then I'll just get in and fly for you. I tell you what, there's so many wonderful people here. Uh, I've already talked to a lot that want to take me up flying. I said, you know what? I have interviews to do. I can't fly. I'm doing that for you, the audience. I'm going to stay here on the ground so that you can get the experience of these aircraft. Uh, check out some of the videos online. There's some really cool organizations uh, like Avweb that's been putting out some really neat flying videos on this. We'll try to get some links uh, in the Stuck Mike Avcast. But Eric, hey, let's go check out some airplanes. Let's do this. Now entering cruise flight. Well, folks, Carl Valeri with Sun and Fun Radio reporting here at the 2015 U.S. Sport Aviation Expo. I'm here with Wes at the uh, Recreational Aviation Foundation. It's a wonderful organization and uh, really promoting aviation. Tell us a little bit about the RAF and, and what it is you're trying to do, because a lot of us don't understand uh, what the Recreational Foundation is. Yeah, it's a uh, Recreational Aviation Foundation. It is a national organization. And we, our primary mission is to uh, promote uh, access to, uh, to airstrips for recreational purposes. And they, they could be state, they could be um, federal, they could be uh, private. So uh, we work with the state legislatures to try to get the recreational use statutes uh, modified to include aircraft as one of our primary programs. Um, but in general, we we like to promote people getting together with uh, airplanes uh, for recreational purposes in wherever they like to fly. So, you know, I, I fly recreationally, but uh, I think this is some um, a different meaning. For instance, I fly out of St. Petersburg, paved strip, etc. cetera. Uh, you're, you're focusing more on, on airports that are in areas that are more rural? More rural, more remote, because yeah. uh, most of our membership uh, likes to uh, to get into the backcountry. That's kind of what, what our image is. Uh, but we don't like to limit it. So, right. so uh, you know, for, for me, for myself, uh, why should I care if I'm, I'm outside this, you know, the whole Recreational uh, Aviation Foundation, or I don't fly to backwoods airports? You know, is are we losing these airports? Yeah, we are. Unfortunately, uh, a lot of the state airports uh, states don't want to maintain these strips anymore that were originally used for uh, like Forest Service, uh, uh, that's, that's federal, but um, even the state forests, those kind of uh, strips are, are not maintained anymore in a lot of cases and, and they're restricted in access. And we think they sh if you can get there by other means, such as RVs, four-wheel drives, whatever, um, we, they should be accessible by, by airplanes. We don't see any difference. No, and, and that makes sense to me. I didn't realize that you could fly into some of these strips, like a state strip. I thought it was just for, like, the firefighters, et cetera. So anybody can fly into these as long as they're public use. As long as they're public use. In the case of a state uh, park, our, our uh, success story last year here in Florida was the Blackwater uh, Strip in the uh, Blackwater State Forest up in the Panhandle. Uh, we, uh, we, through working with the State Forest Service, got access for 
uh, for uh, general aviation guys and uh, anybody, anybody in the public, not just the uh, RAF crew. And every year we have a fly in there where we get together and, and have a barbecue and, uh, and uh, talk airplanes and, and uh, uh, things are of interest to, to folks with the small airplanes that want to go someplace across country. So It's awesome, uh, you know, the barbecue you have over at uh, Sun and Fun. That's a lot of fun. The U.S. Sport Aviation, we're here today and uh, trying to help promote you folks because I think it's important. Uh, to be able to have a strip where you can fly into recreation. Like you said, I think that's a great point. If you can get there by RV or hike in, I think you should be able to get there by plane. Uh, and I can understand some of the some of the issues. You know, there's maintenance involved, that type of thing. Uh, what are some of the challenges to keeping one of these airports open? Uh, most of these strips are um, unimproved, so they're, uh, they're, they're turf. Um, so they require some mowing. Uh, requires uh, clearance for aircraft approaches and that sort of stuff. So there's there is some maintenance involved in it. Um, we also like to contribute if it's a case where uh, a strip is uh, not maintained by whatever the organization is, the, whether it be a state um, a land uh, group. Uh, we will volunteer. We have work parties and we come in and help clear, mow. And an example of that is uh, North Fox Island in Michigan. It's uh, actually located in the, in the Lake Michigan offshore of uh, Charlevoix, Michigan. And we were up there last year uh, to get the strip opened up. It's been inaccessible for almost 10 years. But to get the, get the strip mowed and get it opened up for, uh, for public use. This sounds like a bit of a monumental task. You know, I, I'm thinking, first of all, if it's a state uh, strip that they would take care of it or we could convince them to take care of it but I mean how many of these strips are you taking care of right now um, actually the RAF only has uh, like one strip that we sort of own and that's at Ryan Field in West Glacier in Montana and that was donated to the organization uh, by uh, Ben and Butchie Ryan who developed the property in the strip and it's just an absolutely gorgeous spot but that's the only one that we kind of own the rest of them uh, we promote access, working with state legislatures or state land uh, owners and, um, and and private owners. We try to work with private folks who want to uh, encourage people to come visit them without the burden of the liability pick. And you know what's interesting is I love flying out of grass strips, but there's a lot of folks that have never tried it. And uh, I guess one of the things you might be able to help is point towards an instructor or somebody who might be able to help you go in or an experienced pilot into these different strips. Uh, do you have any, you know, like say I'm a first time flyer into one of these strips, any way of getting together with some of these folks and flying in? Um, probably not a good resource for that because I haven't haven't done much, too much of that. I know some of our guys have trained out west for mountain flying, right. but uh, I'd, have to, I'd have to do some research. So in, in the recreational world, RAF, we're looking at backwoods. We're looking at, at airports that are very remote, and but in and some are, some aren't, but some really beautiful areas. And and like you said, if you can walk in there with a, a backpack on or go in with an RV, these should be accessible. I think it's really great what you're doing. Any good? Any other success stories? Is there any uh, numbers maybe you might have as to airports or recent airports that uh, other than the one you just mentioned that that have been maybe accessible now where they weren't before? Um. We're working with a couple of uh, landowners here in Florida currently and uh, to try to get uh, strips opened up or at least access to those areas. Because like you say, they are just gorgeous um, places to visit. 
they are remote, and that, that's part of the beauty, I think. Um, not, not really remote and not really uh, hard to access, but we've teamed up with uh, a, a local airport in Arcadia, Florida. Uh, there's a group called the Friends of Arcadia, just to, uh, you might have uh, seen those guys. Uh, very uh, energetic group, and uh, they're trying to encourage people to come visit Arcadia, a small municipal airport. And every year they have a rodeo at Arcadia, it's a nationally uh, recognized uh, rodeo circuit. And they've invited us and our group down to camp and go to the rodeo and kind of promote the town. So with those kind of relationships we also work with because anything that gets small people, uh, small airplanes out flying and folks enjoying the camaraderie of doing that works, works for the RAF. Uh, I have to agree. How about if somebody's listening and, and say they don't want to access these remote areas, but, but they love that we're promoting the freedom to do that. Is there any way that somebody could get involved? Is there a website that they can go to to get involved with the RAF? Yeah, certainly uh, the RAF.org is, uh, is our organization website, and uh, it's maintained by the gang out in Bozeman, a very hardworking volunteer crew. And uh, there's a lot of information shared on there about the individual state uh, activities and the state liaisons. So if someone has an interest, they can go to that website, the RAF.org, uh, look up the state liaison and the contact information is there. And all these guys are just more than glad to talk about uh, what their activities in the state and what our future programs are. So uh, I'd encourage it. Well, Wes, we, we really appreciate you talking to us here at Sun uh, Fun Radio, and, and I'd really highly encourage people to go to the RAF.org. They, you really are saving these backwoods airports and these wonderful recreational facilities, and we appreciate what you do. Again, Carl Valeri here reporting at the U.S. Sport Aviation Expo 2015. Well, folks, this is Carl Valeri with Sun and Fun Radio reporting right here at 2015 U.S. Sport Aviation Expo. And I am actually standing here with somebody who is really passionate about aviation and getting the word out. And his name is Jamie Beckett. Jamie has been on many different shows before and has been on Sun and Fun Radio but, you know, Jamie's doing something different. He's still promoting aviation, but he's going to have a, a larger audience. Welcome, Jamie. And, and what is it you're doing now? Thanks, Carl. I appreciate it. I have a new job, and it's a new program that AOPA's got for the You Can Fly initiative. My job is ambassador. My territory is Florida. There's another one in Southern California. There's another one in the mid-Atlantic states. And basically, my job is to be me, be out there and be an advocate for aviation, and specifically to use this reimagined Cessna 152, completely rebuilt 152 that came out of Aviat. It's an absolutely beautiful machine and use it as an example to show people who want to be in flying clubs or flight schools or rusty pilots who want to get back in how accessible aviation can really be. You know, Jamie, tell us a little bit about your past as far as being an advocate. I know most people know about it, but boy, I tell you, you've really been a voice out there for general aviation and aviation in, in, in all different aspects, careers, etc. Well, thanks. It's, it's kind of odd because basically I'm just a big mouth who loves aviation. But yeah, I've written for a number of magazines for the last 20 years or so. I, I actually ran as a city commissioner in my city in Winter Haven, Florida, because we have an airport that was being poorly managed. I uh, put together the Polk Aviation Alliance, which put the Central Florida Aerospace Academy High School together with Polk State College, together with JetBlue Airlines and Sun and Fun. I just really believe in this, Carl. I love it, and I really believe, especially with kids, this can change your life. Not becoming an airline pilot, getting into aviation as a mechanic, an engineer, a designer, a pilot, whatever appeals to you, that can absolutely change your life and the direction you head in. 
You know, it, it's interesting that you say that. There are so many different careers in aviation. Also, I think everybody should get into aviation. It's a life-changing event, don't you feel? I do, and and I don't think I've ever met anyone who said, you know, I learned to fly 30 years ago, and boy, that ruined my life. That's never happened. Everybody's happy about it. Everybody's glad. Even if they haven't flown in 20 years, they're glad they learned. And I made this point a lot of times, especially if you're a high school, college student, if you got even your sport pilot license or your private pilot license, and if you never flew again, it's on your resume. And when you go to apply for that job out of college at whatever it is and your resume looks exactly like 150 others except yours says I'm a pilot somebody in that organization wants to talk to you you're going to get an interview and it's going to translate into higher earnings and greater satisfaction throughout your life you know that's great for the resume and I think that's wonderful that you mentioned that because it's you always have your pilot certificate forever there's another thing too there's certain things in aviation that we learn as pilots that actually can translate to the work environment Give us maybe an example of something like that. You know, the most obvious is teamwork. When you're a flight instructor or whether you're an airline pilot, nobody ever asks if you want to fly with that other person. You learn how to get the job done and look past the personal issues that might be there. You become very task-oriented. You become very mission-oriented. And, and for instance, today I had a, a flight scheduled at 9 a.m. this morning. The weather's just not conducive to it. You say no. And, and the people you're working with, they understand, oh, there are certain things that are beyond our control. We still get our work done. We still do the interviews. We still do the media things, whatever has to happen. But we don't do the thing that would become unsafe. That's a big thing, learning to take the responsibility to make the decision and then follow through. That's huge. Yeah, I have to agree. You know, speaking about the weather today, here we are at the U.S. Sport Aviation Expo. You know, this is where aviation starts, with small airplanes. It's affordable flying. It's, it's wonderful to see that they have an actual avenue where they can promote affordable flying and general aviation. What have you seen in the show so far? Anything good, bad, you know, relate to us. What are some of the things that stand out? I'll tell you, it's not the machinery. It's the attitude of the people I see coming through here. They got big smiles. They got a can-do spirit. People, I'm, I'm here with this Cessna 152. People come with a big old smile because they flew this 40 years ago. People keep telling me, oh, I, I learned to fly in this in 1966. It's fantastic, and the, the fact that this many people are out here looking at the future in a positive way, that gives me a lot of hope. I think there's something happening here, and I'm really proud to be a part of it. Well, Jamie, tell us a little bit about the 152 Reimagined. You know, I put this a picture of this on my Facebook page. Immediately people said, hey, I learned to fly in that. What are you trying to do, and, and what's the difference between this 152 and others that are out there, other than the fact it's bright yellow? It's very yellow, and, and I like that. You can see it from across the ramp. There's no mistake in this plane. It's actually a great program, and I'm really excited to be a part of it. There are no AOPA membership dollars in this. There is a private benefactor who has been very gracious and has funded these reimagined 152s to prove a point. Basically what happens is they take a donor 150, 152 from out in the field that's got a lot of hours on it, it's worn, it's been in a flight school environment. They take it to the Aviat factory in Wyoming, they completely go through it. This one, the wings have been rebuilt, the control cables and pulleys have been changed, whole new panel, all new electrical system, redone engine. It's a fantastic airplane. Wheel pants, so it's actually, I've, I've got a lot of 152 time, but they all had a million dents and chipped paint and no wheel pants. This one's faster than any 152 I ever flew. It's a little slipperier. But the great thing about it is it's to prove a point. It's not just to be a pretty airplane. In an eight-person club environment, this airplane can operate for $64 an hour. That's a huge difference because 
you might be looking at renting airplanes for $150, $200 an hour at your local airport and you just say that's unattainable. This is 64. That's a big difference. And you know, maybe you did the same thing. There was a period where I was building hours for my, my instrument, my commercial, somebody wants to get their ATP. You can fly two pilots in here, both logging PIC, one under the hood, one being safety pilot. That means you're logging PIC time for $32 an hour. This really becomes an affordable way to get into aviation and stay in aviation, but it, 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 I'm not actually selling the airplane. It's an example of how you can arrange your club or your flight school or your own personal mission to make aviation affordable for you and make it a long-term thing. It, it's not a sacrifice. It's an enhancement to your life. Well, Jamie, this is great that you're explaining all this to us, but what if later on I'm, I'm listening to this and I want to find out how, how I can fly more affordably or also how I could possibly advocate, become an advocate for general aviation or find you and have you speak for us? Where, where would I find that? You know, that's a great question. AOPA.org on the internet. Basically, AOPA's role is to provide resources and support and insight. And that's my job as, as an ambassador throughout Florida. So basically, I'm not there to tell you what I want to tell you. I'm there to answer your question and facilitate you getting to where you want to be. So seriously, go through the web, AOPA.org. You can type in flying clubs into the search bar there. It'll show you where the flying clubs are around you. You can contact me. You can get to whoever you need. If you want to get into aviation, we can help you, and we can help you do it in a way that's affordable and long-lasting. Jamie Beckett, truly an advocate for aviation, now has a wider audience, of course, with AOPA. We love AOPA and what they've done for aviation. Thanks so much, Jamie, for speaking to us here at Sun and Fun Radio. Carl Valeri reporting for Sun and Fun Radio right here at 2015 Sport Aviation Expo. It's affordable flying, and you can do it. Well, folks, this is Carl Valeri with Sun and Fun Radio reporting here live at the 2015 U.S. Sport Aviation Expo. I'm here joined with Eric Kump, Crump and also Tom Pagini with uh, Flight Design. Welcome, Tom, to the show. Well, thank you. You know, we, it's a really cool aircraft you have. I, I love the design, and uh, I heard it flies really nice. But give us a quick rundown as to the different designs that you have, and then we'll go into some detail. Well, uh, the product that we're selling now is called the CTLS, which is a later development of the CT series. We started off with the CTSW back in 2004 when light sport aircraft were just introduced. And then uh, that's kind of like a sports car, and the CTLS would be more like a GT. And it was developed, you know, a Corvette compared with a Lotus 7 or something. <laughs> and uh, that's a, pro a product that was made initially for the United States market. Um, has a little bigger cabin and a more compliant landing gear. Uh, and now we have the CTLSI, which is the fuel-injected version using the Rotax 912IS. Okay. Now, you said uh, manufactured somewhere else in, in another country. Where does it come from? They are uh, currently manufactured in Germany. Some great German engineering. Yes. And uh, one, uh, tell us a little bit about the flight characteristics with the CTLS compared to other aircraft that are out there in the light sport. Uh, one thing that's uh, a, a common comment about the plane is that when we take people up for a flight, the first thing they say is, wow, this is a real airplane. I'm not really sure what they expected, but that is a, a comment that we get all the time. And it does fly like a larger airplane. Uh, they're very clean aerodynamically. They don't have wing struts. They're all carbon fiber composite 
structure and rather advanced aerodynamics. So they're, they're very clean. They, they go very fast. They go up to the, the limit for a light sport aircraft on 100 horsepower. And uh, they glide quite well in the landing pattern. Um, so it's, it's a little different for people in that it's a very light plane and it has a very good glide ratio. So, so how have things been in the past with this, this aircraft? Uh, light sport's been a really interesting thing for me. I think it's great. Uh, it's, it's affordable. If you want a brand new aircraft, you can get something new a lot cheaper than some of these other production aircraft. How about, what's your experience been with the light sport? Well, uh, I was involved with a group that did the uh, ARAC to develop the sport pilot license in the light sport category starting back in 1994. Uh, so it's something we've been looking for for a long time. We originally envisioned it being uh, mostly uh, two-place ultralights to try to get a two-place ultralight li- license. You don't need a, to learn to fly a 172 to, l- to fly a balloon, and you don't need to fly, learn to fly a 172 to fly a sailplane. So how come you couldn't fly... But as it ended up, it developed into something much more than all of us envisioned. I think it's added to aviation. I don't think it's, it's, it's taken away from conventional general aviation, and I don't think it's hurt the kit-built industry either. I think it's just brought uh, people along that otherwise would either have gotten out of aviation or would not have come in. So I think it's a, uh, it's a net plus. And so uh, there are a, a couple detractors. Of course, we always hear light sports gonna, is dead, blah, blah, blah. I don't think it is. I think this is something we're going to see moving forward. It's exciting to see more affordable aircraft and something brand new. You know, some of the prices I see out here uh, in the light sport aircraft, and you can talk a little bit about your price points, uh, their, their price points were I'd have to buy a very old uh, aircraft to be able to afford the, the same type of aircraft. I'm getting something brand new here. So that, that's the, a big difference. Plus, uh, you know, one of the things that I, I've heard, and some, in some instances is true, you sacrifice design. You sacrifice, you know, the, that wow factor when you walk up to the airplane. I, I like your design. I think it looks really nice. So, uh, you know, what, what's your experience been there as far as the, the detractors and, and, and what you've said to them? You know, what, what's your response to people saying, hey, you know, this isn't that affordable and also the fact that, you know, the, the designs aren't very attractive to me? Well, if you, if you walk around and... Uh and look at all the airplanes on the field. You can find something such as the Aero Trek, which is a classic tail dragger, uh, welded steel fuselage, fabric-covered airplane, but very beautifully done for $70,000. Okay, that's a brand new airplane with a brand new Rotax, brand new equipment on board for $70,000. Uh, our airplane, most when they're uh, the way they're typically equipped will sell from between 150 to 170 thousand dollar airplanes, but that's that's with twin synthetic vision, 10 inch screens, a 796 autopilot, ADSB in and out, uh, a parachute system, uh, you know, a, a whole carbon fiber airframe. So, if you're going to a a new general aviation airplane with similar equipment, those would be selling at a minimum for $370,000. So this has brought new options to people. And there's, there's many nice airplanes that are uh, more affordable. Rands sells a uh, S6 certified version for $65,000. And uh, as well, the whole category allowed people to continue to fly many classic airplanes that otherwise would not be accessible to people that couldn't maintain a third-class medical. So I, th- I think it's been a, a big plus for aviation in general, and I think anything that's good for, for all of aviation is good for LSA and vice versa. 
So let's talk a little bit about uh, the products that are new now with with, uh, flight design. What's coming down the pike here? What am I going to see that's new or possibly new that you have here at the show? Well, um, what we what we found is that the the options that are available, even within our own airplane, uh, are very complex. So we found that people are more interested in getting packages. So we offer a, an, a special edition called the America's Edition that has everything that people basically order. The only option is uh, ADSB, and I think everybody orders that. We may put that in as well as a standard equipment. Uh, but the the biggest thing that we've done is the fuel injected 912s, and now there's the new sport version of that, which is an increased torque version of the 912 IS. And uh, we've been converting all of the older airplanes over, which is a very nice thing that Rotax did to convert, you know, to offer to convert all of the uh, older engines. And the new ones that we're delivering have that. And that that's an engine now that has more torque than the 914 turbo. Typically, turbo engines are known for having very strong torque, and so the normally aspirated version of the uh, fuel-injected 912IS has more torque. So that's a big performance plus, and that's really also helping with uh, high-altitude performance on the plane. And then what we're really looking forward to, hopefully soon, first flight of the the C4, our four-place airplane is uh, going to occur in uh, Commons, Germany in February. So we're very excited about that. And for people that aren't familiar with that, the C4 is a the next step in the technology of the CT series into a four-seater. We're doing some innovative things with uh, the avionics to keep the price more reasonable. And it has a uh, Continental IO360 detuned engine, uh, lower compression engine, uh, 180 horse, so that you can use 94 unleaded fuel. That's not as important in the United States yet, but uh, soon we'll have to have unleaded fuel, and uh, that is a very important fuel for Europe. So uh, Continental certified a special version of the engine uh, for this application. They're going to offer it to other manufacturers, but they did it first for us. And then we have a... uh, a unique avionics suite that is a combination of TSO'd and non-TSO'd equipment uh, that's really going to help keep the price low. And we've done a a bunch of uh, planning ahead and working with the OEM suppliers to keep the price low. And we're going to be offering the, the C4 a completely equipped modern airplane with twin screens, parachute system, carbon fiber airframe for $250,000. Wow, that that's that's a pretty uh, incredible price point. Uh, uh, that that sure beats a lot of other production aircraft. Um, we're, there's several reasons for that. First of all, uh, the European system of design organization and production organization uh, delegate more of the oversight for the certification program to the manufacturer. Uh, that reduces cost. Um, we're already in the business. So we have facilities, we have the technology, we don't have to develop the technology to make the airplane as an outgrowth of everything that our company has already been doing for the last few years. So we don't have to go borrow $150 million to make the first airplane, to load the first airplane up with a return on investment payment to do, you know, the whole thing, it kind of cascades on itself. And then the, the, uh, the cost-effective avionics help 
bring the price down too. So there's some very good reasons. There's no smoke and mirrors why it's going to be less. It's just simply going to be a, a more affordable project and a more affordable airplane. Well, I'm pretty excited to see a platform like that, that 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 affordable, brand new, and is IFR equipped. So I'm right. I'm pretty excited about that. Let's talk a little bit about flying the thing. I mean, let's talk fun. You know, what, how does it compare to to some of the other aircraft that I've been flying? I've been flying a lot of like 172s and Piper Warriors, that type of thing. How, how does this aircraft compare? Actually, let me ask Eric first. <laughs> yeah, so um, I'm fortunate enough to get uh, some stick time in the CTLS a few years ago, and. Um, it's just such a fun airplane to fly. Um, I'm 6'3", not the smallest guy on, on the planet. And um, it's, the, it's really the first light sport airplane I got in that I was comfortable sitting in. You know, when I just got in and I, I could extend my legs, my knees weren't in my face. Um, it was, it was a really enjoyable. Uh, my head wasn't in the ceiling. But because of your position in the, in the seat, for those of you that are a little taller, um, your head is actually below the wing line. So unlike in many light sport aircraft where me being a little bit taller, I have to lean forward to be able to look outside to get under the wing line. Your position in the CTLS, actually you're already under the wing line. So you don't have to lean forward to be able to look out to the left wing to, to see underneath the wing. So that was really nice. But like Tom said earlier, one of my initial impressions of the airplane, which you know I had heard this from Tom and I had heard this a lot about the airplane, that it flies like a much bigger, heavier airplane than it is. But I wasn't really... I guess I wasn't really prepared for how true that was going to be because it has a it has a very heavy feel to it, um, not in a bad way. Not in uh, people talk about light sports. I, the thing I often hear is it's a motorized leaf. I hear that you know the wind blows it all over the place, but that's re- that really was not my experience in the CTLS. I found that it was it was very stable and in terms of stick and rudder feel, it was very heavy. It had the same like what you're talking about with a 172. It had that same kind of bulky maybe isn't the right word, but that it, I didn't feel like the airplane was waving around on me. It did exactly what I told it to do, um, and it was really fun to fly. Um, and it, uh, to be all honest, Eric's favorite thing about it, I was comfortable. I was really comfortable being in the airplane, and I've been in a lot of light sport aircraft. Um, some I just I couldn't comfortably fly them at all, and and others were were moderate. They were fine. Um, no different than me getting a 152. I mean, it's, you know, right. you're just kind of crammed in there. Um, but I'm telling you, I, I, Tom can maybe speak a little bit to the dimensions, but whether it is or is not, it, it feels wider across than a 152 to be inside of it. For just and I, Maybe that's because of, you know, the 152 is more of a box right. because it's built out of aluminum, where because of the composite nature, it is more rounded. But you, it just, you're sitting next to another person and you don't feel nearly as claustrophobic in there as even I do in a 152. So I, I like that. I can be comfortable in the airplane. It's easy to see out of. Um, and especially the, the way the nose slopes forward, you have incredible forward visibility when you're flying the airplane. Just, it's fun. It's a fun airplane. So you talked about the dimensions and, and feeling like you have a lot of room. Uh, maybe, Tom, you could speak towards that. Well, it's, it's 49 inches across, which is bigger than a 182 wow. as far as elbow to elbow. And then there's a structural element uh, that we call the tunnel that goes right down the center of the, you know, it's an egg-shaped fuselage roughly <clears throat> and uh, down the bottom of the egg there is a tunnel a U-shaped 
uh, structural element that runs fore and aft and attaches to the firewall and then goes back to the rear bulkhead where the landing gear is and that's between the seats so you're not rubbing elbows and you don't have the flight instructor with the arm around the student thing that you have to have in a 150 and I love 150s I learned in one too and they were great and uh, but uh, it is very large and then the windows are also uh, cut down very low so uh, there's excellent visibility. It's, you know, helicopter-like inside the uh, cabin. So somebody who's my size, I could yeah. probably fit in there f- fairly easily. Yes. He talked about some of the flight characteristics and the controls. Uh, why is it that he feels that? I mean, he feels more solid in this, in this aircraft, not, you know, uh, to put words in your mouth. There's, there's several reasons. One is that uh, there is a, a spring system on the ailerons that give uh, centering and dampening. That gives a little more stick force. First of all, we should say it is a control stick. It is a a, a floor-mounted stick system. And then uh, there's also a a spring-loaded system on the rudder pedals also. And um, I think that's one of the reasons. First of all, the airfoil has very, uh, very tame uh, stall characteristics to begin with and there's also a stall strip at the root of the wing to make sure that the root stalls first um, but I think the the spring system the centering system keeps people from naturally drifting off center it's kind of like what Cirrus does and uh, I think that has contributed to a, a very favorable stall spin incident record in the United States too so let's talk a little bit about sales how are things going uh, pretty good. If we could, uh, if we could get more planes, we could sell more right now. And uh, we have had uh, the good fortune to be the most popular light sport aircraft for the the history of LSAs, and we have uh, 400 of them flying in the United States alone. And uh, and there's about 1,900 of them flying worldwide. So we've reached critical mass as far as being a real product that has real support, and you know there's good parts sales business so it makes sense to keep a big inventory and uh it's a real real thing no one of the concerns of a lot of people before we wrap up is is actually maintenance and getting serviced on on the light sport because there's some people that aren't familiar with light sport you talked about the rotax uh engine uh why is that important well rotax has done a great job over the last 10 years to build up the infrastructure nationally and train people and a lot of uh, ANPs have come down to uh, places like Lockwood Aviation and get trained and uh, Rainbow Aviation out in California to get light sport aircraft repair uh, training and then there's also been road uh, road trips for training mechanics and then you know uh, the culture of maintenance for the Rotax series has just grown over the last decade uh, first of all they're not an exotic engine they've they've manufactured 50,000 of them now so it's one of the dominant species worldwide as far as light plane engines are concerned and uh, there's a lot more people that are trained to you know an airplane uh, let's say uh, 80% of it is the engine as far as maintenance goes so Rotax has done a good job to build up the infrastructure and then we have uh, we have I think 25 places around the United States that are uh, approved service centers that have done uh, light composite repair training, uh, have all of our repair manuals work with us, sell, sell spare parts, and, uh, and between the two of them, we have a pretty credible uh, service center. 
So to say to my, my partner in the 182 we just sold, you know, we're looking at a light sport. Uh, there, there are places to get these fixed, and, and, and don't worry, we, we will be able to service this aircraft. Yeah, that's, that, that's actually <laughs> a fair thing to say. <laughs> Terrific. Well, Tom, I really appreciate you talking to us today. And uh, where can they find you, though, if they're listening right now on the Internet? Uh, www.flightdesignusa.com. Tom Pagini with uh, Flight Design uh, USA. This is a, a really cool-looking airplane. I do love the visibility. I've sat in it. Never got to fly it. Hoping to do that here in the future sometime. Uh, I really appreciate your spending time with us. And if they want to check out the website, again, that's flightdesignusa.com. Carl Valeri at the U.S. Sport Aviation Expo 2015, reporting for Sun and Fun Radio. Well, folks, this is Carl Valeri with Sun and Fun Radio reporting here at the 2015 U.S. Sport Aviation Expo here with Scott Carson from M0A, and we're talking a little bit about Inspire Aviation, this new project he has. Hey, Scott, before we get talking about it, uh, this is really neat, isn't it? Oh, it's uh, beautiful weather. Uh, sometimes I feel so lucky to be here in Florida and uh, to be to drive down the road and go to a great event, event like this. M0A, tell us a little bit about that first before we get the Inspire Aviation. Sure. For those of you guys that do not know, M0A, we are an online flight school community. Uh, Jason Shepard is the owner. He's the one that most people are familiar with, with his uh, YouTube videos, and then our Ground School Academy. And how we try to differentiate ourselves from other people who have ground schools is we try to create more of a community environment, uh, not just with videos and written test prep, but mentorship, where people can call and ask us questions, and we can provide support that they may not be getting elsewhere. Wow, that sounds really interesting. You know, you, you don't just talk about uh, training. You also uh, walk the walk and talk the talk. And through that, uh, I mean, you decided to, to try to get people back in aviation that have been out for a while. And I think that's what you're trying to do with Inspire Aviation. But without me putting words in your mouth, what is Inspire Aviation? Well, Inspire Aviation is kind of a complement to what we already have here at M0A, um, outside of just learning the technical side of how, of, of how to fly. Uh, we are really trying to focus on the emotional side of things, the, uh, the hope, the empowerment to help someone who's sitting there in their living room right now listening to this to think, gosh, I've always wanted to be a pilot. How can I do it? And for some people, the goal is so big, the dream is so big, you kind of throw up your hands and say, I don't even know if I where to start or how to do it. So that's what the Inspire Aviation is going to be all about. Um, we are going to feature people who are walking through that process, uh, hopefully, uh, they'll be able to send a common message of how they're doing it, how they're getting from point A to point B and ultimately getting their license. Uh, we're going to feature people who have maybe stopped flying, whether they had a bad flight experience and you know, decided, hey, that maybe this isn't for me. Kind of encourage those people to get back in the cockpit and then our current pilots that have a little bit of rust as well. Um, we're going to try to encourage those people to get back in, into the cockpit as well. You know, I think it's really important to inspire those people that haven't been around aviation, that love it, that read the magazines, that haven't flown. I think there was part of your video, you have an intro video, where there was an individual who hadn't flown like over 20 years. And that was really awesome to see him go up with Jason and to fly around and see the excitement in his eyes. I don't know about you, but, but I never get tired bringing people up in an airplane. I love watching them as their face lights up when we get up in the air. No, absolutely, and we are we have our documentary flying again, um, and it we are doing a documentary featuring some of these guys who haven't flown in a long time, and showing them uh, the the anticipation, the nervousness, the excitement, all of those emotions that 
we can all relate to and, and them finally for whatever reason they had to put that on hold and they're finally getting back in the cockpit and Jason's in the cockpit with them instructing them walking them through the process and just to see them light up again and rekindle that dream uh, it's just what aviation is all about so hey I want to I want to go watch this now so people listening right now how am I gonna find this where do I find this on the internet uh, yeah you can go to m0a.com and uh, Actually, we have a we have a link. Oh, a link off of M zero A. Yeah. Um, so they can they'll go out there to the website and they'll be able to link to those like the YouTube videos and stuff like that. So that's one way I guess you can find it on there online. And uh, you know this is really inspiring to hear all this. But uh, you know I want to go on the internet and watch it right now for people listening. Where can they find this? So Carl, you can go to flyingagainmovie.com. You'll see all the information about the movie. Uh, we also have a scholarship for anyone out there listening who would like to get who is a, who is a rusty pilot uh, that hasn't flown in two plus years. Uh, they can obviously get the third class medical. Uh, we're offering a scholarship to uh, to get them back in the movie. So for more information, that go to flyingagainmovie.com. Well, I, I, as you know, I love scholarships and I love getting people back in the air. Uh, if you think that uh, the money is a challenge, well, there's many ways around it. One way, scholarships. Another way is to partner up with somebody in your training. And also go to m0a.com. There's a huge community out there of people doing flight training. Uh, how about you? How have you uh, progressed in your flying? Well, I mean, through through people like you, Carl, uh, through through companies like Jason's, uh, I have been able to get off the couch um, to kind of put those fears and ang that anxiety behind me. That hey, this is my dream. I want to go pursue it. Uh, so at this current point, I have to do my long cross country, uh, and I will be getting ready for my uh, my check right here in the next probably about the, about the next month. But so this this time last year. Um, I, I didn't have a job in aviation. I only had a few hours in my training. So just with all, with all the support that's out there, it really can be done. Awesome. And there's so many different ways you can get support, both psychologically and, and also monetarily. Uh, we're we're going to be watching you. We're going to see what you do. So hopefully we'll see you on the Internet posting uh, when you do finally get your certificate and when you finish all these different cross countries. That'll be exciting. Is there any place to find you? Uh, you can just go to m0a.com, and uh, that's where people will see the new Inspire Aviation segment we're going to have. Um, so thank you, Carl. Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, Scott Carson here is with m0a.com, really trying to inspire people, inspire aviation, and they're doing a great job of it. Uh, Jason Shepard is a wonderful uh, host, and we love him just for the fact that he loves aviation. And the people that are out here at the U.S. Sport Aviation Expo, they love aviation. This is where aviation starts. This is light aircraft, affordable aircraft, that where we all got started. Carl Valeri reporting for Sun and Fun Radio at the U.S. Sport Aviation Expo 2015. Well, folks, Carl Valeri reporting for Sun and Fun Radio at the U.S. Sport Aviation Expo 2015. I'm here with Randy Boone with Aviation and Marine Survival Technologies. I'm in front of a pool that has some flotation devices. And for those of us that fly over the water, it's really important, I feel, to have a flotation device with you. You know, when you get out of an airplane, uh, you're going to be searching for some things, and if it's not attached to you, uh, it's, it's kind of tough to, to, to get in the water with something unless it's attached. How, would, would you agree? I notice you're wearing something right now. Yeah, so, yeah one of my uh, top topics is uh, what you have on you is what you're going to have with you, and especially with an aircraft when you're uh, egressing out of the aircraft. Uh, usually when it lands in the water, as humans, we don't want to go into a you know, into the abyss in a cylinder, so we immediately will egress out of that aircraft. So it's true, what you have on you is what you're gonna have with you. 
Uh, what I do is I kind of show different ways to make sure that you have that equipment with you when you come out of the aircraft, and then I show you what to do with the equipment once you come out. So this training course that you have, is it online or in person? It's in person. Uh, I have plans to put it online here shortly uh, uh, with video. Uh, just I'm looking for resources right now, but once I've, I'm able to do that, I'll have it online and, and I'll have plenty of... Uh, so what are we doing today at the show? I mean, what, what exactly are you going to demonstrate here at, at Sebring? What I do normally is I give a seven-step survival plan. Uh, in order to survive, you have to have a plan. So I give a plan that people can use, uh, recognition, inventory, signals, shelter, water, food, and play. That's the seven steps, and I talk about those a little bit, and then how you incorporate that into a water survival situation. Um, you have your life vest on. I talk about how to use the life vest, how to float with it, how to stay warm even in a, in a warmer waters to keep hypothermia away. Uh, I talk about the life rafts. Uh, we do a demonstration here at 3:30 on how to do how to get into the life raft, which is not an easy task. Um, it, it, uh, if you try to use the ladder, you're going to go underneath the life raft. So I, I show different techniques, how to do it single person, how to do it with another person. Uh, with you to help each other into the life raft. So, you know, one thing I've noticed: a lot of people don't feel that they fly over the water, and they really do. Like I'm a good example. I teach out of an island called Peter Onate Airport in Tampa Bay. I also fly out of Albert Witted. Uh, when I'm over the end of the runway, I'm over the water, and uh, you know, you if I I feel now I'm convinced because I went through survival training in Florida in January. Right. And I tell you what, I was freezing cold. So, and I didn't, you know, if I didn't have one of those life vests on, I'm not sure I would have made it. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's something that happens, and a lot of people don't, don't get this. And I'm glad you brought this up. Is it's cold even here in Florida in the water? And I, I had a problem, and you probably know about this, where I couldn't, I couldn't gasp for air. It was like I was, I was choking off. And, and you teach people how to survive those situations. Right. Yeah, that's called a gasp reflex. And what happens is when you go into the cold water and it hits your face area, your forehead area, it causes you to gasp uncontrollably, uh, uncontrollably and you can actually drown from that gasping. Uh, if you go underwater and you're gasping, of course, that's going to be a bad situation. So you want to make sure you enter cold water uh, to where you're not going under. If you, can, if you can just lower yourself into the water slowly without jumping, uh, it makes it a lot, you know, a lot safer. But yeah, the water in Florida is definitely cold. Uh, we've had you know several casualties offshore. Uh, people succumbing to hypothermia a few years back. The, uh, the football players that went offshore uh, all succumbed except for one uh, from from hypothermia. So what I'm doing with my website and with this program is showing people that there is no warm waters. That you know in this area, the water does get low, uh, colder than 70 degrees, and any water 70 70 degrees or colder can kill you okay so um, it's like an ice cube it eventually melts and your body is the opposite you, you lose that body heat the same way an ice cube loses its cold in, in temperate water I think a lot of us think 70 degrees really isn't that cold when we're doing some recreational type of swimming uh, and we have maybe a wetsuit on or something like that but you go sit out there for a while I'm glad you brought that up uh, another thing you, right now you're wearing a, a life vest and the life vests that I envision in my mind, you know, they're bulky, you know, it's hard to put on, it's, it's hard to inflate. What you have on is something that, it's a device that, you know, it really doesn't take up that much room. And uh, tell us a little bit about this. Okay, well actually this is the Switlick X-Back Basic Life Vest. 
Uh, it's not even out yet. It's supposed to come out around the end of this month. Uh, uh, Switlick allowed me to bring it here and show, show the vest off. Uh, I like it because it has two pockets on each side. Uh, something that a lot of your vests, recreational vests that you buy, that you buy for offshore flying, for general aviation flying, does not have the pockets in it. And again, what you have on you is what you're going to have with you. So you can put a PLB in the pockets, you know, a couple, uh, you know, signal mirror, whistle, a couple items in there that's going to help you to get signal, you know, out to where you can be found. And that's another thing, you know, uh, signals. I'm real big into the signals. I've, I've spent many years in the Coast Guard searching for people in the water. And the signals have to be there because you just cannot see people in the water from the air if you're searching from them. So, it, you know, if you have those signals on you, uh, use, them, use them as much as you can. And I tell people if you don't have any signals and there's planes flying over you, scoop some water and throw it as high up in the air as you can and that makes a nice little signal as well. You know, these are some great tips, and you know, obviously we can't talk about them all, but you know, is there some place that people can find you online that if they're listening right now and they can get these tips? Sure, you can go to uh, astoverwater.com or mstoverwater.com, and either one of those two sites uh, will have, I have a lot of blogs, I have some, you know, a lot of good information, articles that I've written and things like that are on the website. Awesome. There's a whole wealth of information about water survival. You know, we think of just throwing a raft and a life preserver on. It's not just that. Uh, I can attest to the water train that I went through. It actually took uh, quite a bit of time to go through the whole training. And it is shocking when you enter the water and it's cold. And, and you'll, you'll teach people about that. Uh, you know, we, we'd love to talk more with you. And we'd love people to go to your website. Do you do these lectures throughout the country? I do. Uh, I don't. I've slowed down a little bit now uh, on the lectures. It's a little harder for me to get around. But uh, if if I'm invited to go somewhere, if someone wants me to do a uh, seminar for their particular program or whatever, I'm more than willing and, and happy to do that. Awesome, Randy. Thanks for talking to us here at uh, Sun and Fun Radio in the uh, 2015 U.S. Sport Aviation Expo. Again, this is an important thing. If you're flying over the water, even if it's right off the end of the runway on an island. You're flying over the water, so you need to have survival equipment. Would you agree? Yes, sir. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. And, and again, the website there is? ASToverwater.com and MST for Marine Site. MSToverwater.com. Great. Carl Valeri with uh, Sun and Fun Radio reporting here at 2015 U.S. Sport Aviation Expo. Well, folks, Carl Valeri with Sun and Fun Radio here at the 2015 U.S. Sport Aviation Expo. And I'm at this really interesting booth called Pilot Judgment. It's, uh, I'm here with Beth. Welcome, Beth. And uh, what is Pilot Judgment? Well, thank you. Uh, pilot judgment is an assessment that measures your decision-making capability in over 40 different areas, many of which pertain to your safety in flying, your uh, ability to be successful in your career, get along with other people, all sorts of things that affect your ability to um, be a part of aviation. So it kind of sounds like we're, we're talking almost like what the airlines do with the crew, crew resource management. We hear a lot about that. Now we talk about, you know, uh, cockpit resource management, etc. Uh, this seems like it's a, a bit of a step more than that. Yes, I'm glad you brought that up because there are so many more dimensions that uh, have to do with uh, your ability to handle frustration, your ability to handle stress, your coping skills, um, how clutter affects you, how conflict affects you. There are so many things that play into it that don't just um, 
have to do with your skills and that have to do with the immediate way in which you relate to the task. It is, uh, there's such a huge dimension to what goes into your decision making that being able to put a numeric score in all these different areas will tell you where your possible strengths and weaknesses are and therefore where, where you might need to focus and shore up in order to make better decisions. So I have a weakness, say, in a certain area. Uh, what do I do to, to strengthen that area? It depends on what it is, and it depends on how strongly that deficiency plays into your particular goals in life. That's why this is an entirely self-guided course. Once you have your scores, which it's $12.99 to get to that point, we do have a members area that has guidance over 75 hours of training in all these different areas, however you wish to pursue it. And it's based on decades of research, and the original creator of this was no nominated for a Nobel Prize. So it is very, uh, it's scientific scientifically backed up. We do have advice. We have recommended reading if there's certain areas that you really need to pursue beyond what we can offer. So you will get um, uh, descriptions of what it looks like if this particular area is strong. What if it looks like if it's weak? Because your world is your own and you think you're the master of your universe, but having an objective voice tell you, eh, maybe not so much. That's, that, that might be a little bit helpful. So it's it's twelve ninety nine a month. I see it's no contract, cancel any time. I get the assessment, and then I have access to the seventy five hours of training and some of these other resources. Is there anything that I can take home with me or download from that website? Absolutely. You will get a customized 200-page uh, judgment guide that breaks down an interpretation of every single one of your scores and where you fall in the spectrum of every single one of your scores and therefore what you know whether you're a strong, moderate, weak, and whether that's even a caution area for flying or not. Some things are, are more pertaining to success. Some things are more pertaining to your happiness and how you move in the world, relationships, um, balance of uh, work life balance, uh, how you value work, how you value other human beings, that sort of thing. So, so different things are important to different people. And that's why it's customized and it's individual. And it's, it's private and personal. You're, you get your own private login and, uh, and you're self-guided in what you want to pursue from there. That's pretty awesome. Is there any way you can uh, look at it online, maybe get a demo or something like that? Absolutely. We've got sample videos. We've got um, you know portions of, of what we offer in the members area on our website, which is pilotjudgment.com. And uh, from there, you can just kind of get an idea of what the guidance looks like. And we do try to keep it entertaining, too. Um, uh, we interview people. We have book reviews. We have um, the judgy awards whenever someone presents particularly spectacularly good or spectacularly bad judgment. Um, we will highlight them in our episodes of Judgment Matters, which is an online video magazine that's available to members. So if you go to the website at pilotjudgment.com, there is a sample area, and there's also so an explanation of the science behind it in case you do want to see in depth where all this comes from. Well, that sounds pretty awesome. Any success stories? Absolutely. I, uh, I got a call. Uh, this is, I got a call not that long ago from a, a guy who was recently a member. He's a charter pilot. I, w I won't say out of where, just to protect his privacy. But he was raving about it because he scored very strongly. He didn't really have the caution areas. But here's the interesting thing about super strong judgment is that there's a chance for frustration because the rest of the world just doesn't have it. So you may find that you're like, oh, that guy's an idiot. Why did he talk to me that way? Why did that person do that? 
when your frustration level goes down, your enjoyment of life really increases. And what this guy was calling to tell me about was to thank us because his relationship with his children improved. And he had no idea that would happen. He did this as just kind of, you know, a way of self-checking himself and find out about his safety and his decision making. But as he started reading about, well, what does, what does uh, good judgment or bad judgment in this area meant, he said that he found that he could relate to his children better. And he was calling us to thank us for that. So absolutely, there are success stories. So there's a lot of skills that I'm going to learn besides pilot judgment, a lot of interpersonal skills too, which is for that price is pretty darn cheap. I appreciate you talking to us. Again, that's at pilotjudgment.com. And it's Beth. Thanks so much. And uh, if, you, if you want to learn really good skills, it sounds like you guys have it. Skills in relating to other people, but also making yourself safe in the cockpit, something we always want to promote. Again, Carl Valeri, Sun and Fun Radio here reporting at 2015 U.S. Sport Aviation Expo. Well, folks, Carl Valeri with Sun and Fun Radio here at 2015 U.S. Sport Aviation Expo, and I'm talking to Ross Clark, and he's with Friends of Arcadia Airport. Arcadia is a cool little airport. I love flying in there. Uh, neat little FBO, just a, a friendly little town. If you're thinking about going somewhere and wanting to do some shopping, especially doing antiquing, it's the town to be in. Uh, they have quite a few uh, antique shops. Welcome, Ross, and, and tell us a little bit about uh, the Friends of Arcadia Airport and also what's unique about your airport. Well, Friends of Arcadia Airport was started about uh, two years ago. Um, we're a group of, of, of pilots and plane owners who wanted to, to see the airport grow we tried to do it from within the political system. We all belong to um, the advisory board. Uh, we ended up resigning from that and starting Friends of Arcadia Airport, which is a nonprofit. Hopefully, we could help the airport from outside the system instead of inside the system. And so far, we've done quite a bit. We've. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, what? Why? Why would they need help? Is there? Are they? Uh, you know, is there any kind of issues where people want to close down the airport? That type of thing. No, no one really wants to close down the airport. Uh, the city fathers, it's just kind of an orphan child. They just don't really care about the airport. Uh, as you know, any money made at an airport, if they're getting grants, uh, all that money has to go back into the airport. The city can't siphon it off for road projects or anything else. So it's not a, pro it's not a profit center for them, so it's kind of on their back burner. Well, heck, that sounds really good to me. I mean, if the money has to go back into the airport, that's a great thing. Uh, now, tell us a little bit about flying into the airport. I know that uh, once a year I heard about this uh, thing where you can fly in and camp on the airport. Tell us a little bit about that. We were able to get the city to donate three acres of land on the airport. It hadn't; it never been used. It was uh, heavily wooded. We went in and cleared it. Uh, we have big oak trees. We now have porta potties on it. Um, we have a proposal into the FAA to allow year-round camping where people can taxi their planes right up to the campground. They can camp under wing or under the big trees. Um, we do get special, special uh, permits every year. We have a fly-in that we uh, coordinate with the RAF, the Rural Aviation Foundation, and uh, we do it in, uh, with the rodeo that goes on in town, the 13th, 14th, and 15th. It's a three-day event. We provide tickets and transportation to the rodeo for all the pilots that fly in. This year it's only $15 for transportation and to the rodeo. We provide three days worth of meals. There's a big uh, sing-along on Saturday night, and it's, it's just a great time. Last year we had people fly in as far away as Atlanta, Georgia, and also from Miami, Florida. 
Uh, this year, we, it appears it's going to be a lot bigger. We've already had reservations coming in. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. I, I think I might have to try it uh, coming down from the Tampa Bay area, but uh, right down the road. Arcadia is an airport I used to take my students to all the time. It's a super friendly place to be. Uh, one of the things that, that I think is great is you're working with the Recreational Aviation Foundation, Airport Foundation, whatever. The uh, They are terrific. They really help promote ty these type of airports because you really are an airport that promotes recreational flying. Tell us a little bit about if somebody's thinking of flying in there, wh what do they have there? Well, uh, right now, basically all we have is fuel, uh, but we're very close to town. Uh, the whole downtown area of Arcadia are antique shops. We're a $6 cab ride from downtown, just a few miles. So people can jump in a cab, run downtown, look at antiques. There are a lot of really good restaurants downtown. And then just hop back in a taxi and, and back to the airport again. Well, I have to say, I really uh, I love Arcadia and I love all the antique shops downtown. And it's one of the places I like to go. And there's a, I think it's like once a month, they'll have a, over 100 antique vendors right there. So if you find out when that is, you can, you can head on in there. The, uh, the Arcadia... Uh, the, the old buildings have been restored and they're, they're kept up. In the, and like you said, there's some really cool restaurants. Also, uh, you have something else that goes on, uh, a fly-in and a pancake breakfast? Yeah, during during uh, snowbird season, which runs from um, see October through April, we have a, uh, a pancake breakfast the third Saturday of every month. Um, if you do a low pass, you get your breakfast free. <laughs> and the first one we had in October, we had over 80 airplanes fly in. It, it was great to see that many airplanes on the airport. This was, we hadn't seen that in a long time. And, and you were talking about the RAF. Wonderful people, and they have supported us. Uh, um, they've even flown in from our breakfast from Jacksonville all the way down. And uh, they're a great bunch of guys. Awesome. I can't say enough about them. Uh, so definitely check out the, uh, the pancake breakfast during... The season where a lot of the uh, we call them snowbirds come in here, but also it's it's a great. I love the fact that you're promoting a, an airport and and a small airport that you know really actually is helpful towards the economy. I, I'll give you a good example uh, of Arcadia and the usage is the local sheriff's department. You know when they actually had to fly somebody on a search and rescue, I've seen them come in and pick up local police officers and then go fly out on search and rescue missions. There's so many different things that an airport does for a community. It brings jobs, it brings people into an area, and usually people that have a little bit of money too into that area. So I'm a big promoter of it. And, and again, I love Arcadia. So anything else you want to tell us about or any place that they can find you on the internet? Uh, yes, you can find us, find us on the internet at www.arcadiaairport.com slash friends. And that'll get you right, right to, to the Friends of Arcadia Airport. It'll also get you to the Arcadia Airport site. Awesome. And if you're looking for something to, uh, to or some place to go in, fly in, real friendly people, it's, it's the place to be. Thanks for talking to us, Ross. I really appreciate it. It's been great for talking to us at uh, Sun and Fun Radio. Anything else you want to tell us real quick before we go is that uh, about the airport? I know you, I know you really you, you love Arcadia and you really are uh, outspoken about it. So I really appreciate you talking to us. Again, Carl Valeri with Sun and Fun Radio reporting here, 2015 U.S. Sport Aviation Expo. Well, folks, Carl Valeri with Sun and Fun Radio reporting here at the 2015. We're at the U.S. Sport Aviation Expo, and I'm here with Kathy and Carol talking about living with 
your home. And that's something that many of pilots, we want to do that. We always dream about doing that. And Kathy, what, uh, why, why do people want to live with their home, with their airplane? Their airplane, well, why not? I mean, it's, it's the, the beauty of it is you can get up in the morning, get in your plane, take off, you know, for either go out to breakfast or just for a little run around the patch and come back home. You don't have to drive for 45 minutes to, uh, you know, to a county airport. Or the same thing in the evening, if you want to just take off, fly around a little while, watch the sunset, land, you're right there at your house. It's so convenient. Well, you know, for us that love aviation and love flying, you know, this is the ultimate is, uh, you know, I have to drive 45 minutes to get to the airport. You know, why not just have it parked right at, uh, right in my house? Right, Carol? Absolutely. And there are many ways to live with your plane. Kathy lived on a private airstrip, and I live in an air park, and um, I really love air park living. Um, the nice thing about air park living is that uh, your neighbors come from every walk of life, and it's a, a, a thread, a golden thread, I call it, that uh, knits the community together, and it's the love of aviation. doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, where you're going. Everyone loves aviation, and so there's that common core that brings help in any situation you need. Now, you, you said a private strip and an air park, and for those people that don't understand uh, what that is, what, what is that difference? Okay, the, well, the difference is, we owned an air, just a private, it was on a ranch, and we had our own grass strip with a hangar, and we were the only ones there. Um, if you, the, de the, the definition of an air park that Dave Sclair gave us years and years ago was if there were two or more homes on a runway or a strip, you were, quote, an air park. So we were just one home, so it was our private airstrip versus living at a residential air park. Now, there are as many ways to live with your plane as without your plane. Carol and I, through the years, have seen um, air parks that have two homes, 20 homes, 2,000 homes. Um, we've seen um, zero lot lines. We've seen small lots, large lots. The, the gamut runs from, his, from a townhouse all the way to a mansion. The prices are the, run the same. You could, there's very, very affordable homes up to the extremely wealthy ones. So. You know, the, the one thing, though, if you talk to a real estate agent about wanting to buy a house on an airport, uh, they're not really that helpful, I think, because they haven't had much experience selling homes on airports or in an air park. How do I find that information? Where can I go to find information about living with my home? Well, you, you can go to two places. We're Aviation Homes and Land. You can go to our website. It's www.aviationhomes.com. There's also a wonderful website called Living With Your Plane. And they charge an annual fee, but they have the most comprehensive list of air parks throughout the United States. They also have a list of uh, possibly appraisers, um, architects, and just about anything related to aviation. And again, that, um, that business was started by Dave Sclare, who passed away a year or two ago, and his children are running it now. They also publish general aviation news, and so those are your two best sources. Again, our website, we cover properties throughout the country and abroad. Um, our website is set up according to time zones across the United States. So once you click on our homepage, click on the part of the country you're interested in and see what we have to offer. Call the 1-800 number, which I'm in, or email us and we'll get you more information. 
you know, one of the challenges that, that I've had and, and with my friends is say, gosh, you know, I live in, say, Tampa, and I would love to be able to find a home within an hour's drive of Tampa. Uh, you know, how do I go about finding that home? Probably giving you guys a call would probably be the easiest way, I'm assuming. That's absolutely correct. And um, most um, general realtors are not that familiar with aviation properties. And so um, a good source, if you're looking for uh, either an appraiser or a realtor who can help you in your area, go to your local EAA chapter and see if there's a realtor who's registered to that EAA chapter and link up with them and you'll have some good information. And also, again, if you'd call us or check our website, we know of a lot of properties that are for sale, say like you're talking about within an hour of Tampa. They may not be marketing through us or they may not be our listings, but we know that real estate agents, mostly in the in the well, we know a lot of them in the Florida because we live in Florida, that um, are representing different air parks. And so we may know that property exists, even though it's not on our website, and we can make a referral to another agent or hook you up with that agent so that you can find your aviation property. Well, that's awesome. You know, for, for people like myself who have a spouse that's not really involved in aviation, it's really important for them. For like example, my spouse, she likes to be, go to Macy's, you know. How about, how about that as, as a requirement? Have you ever had that? Well, um, over the years, the aviation, the air park developers have gotten really savvy to this fact, and they are offering so many more amenities for the non-flying spouse, and we've seen it where they're... Um, where they have lots large enough for horses or they have horse trails or, um, like you say, close enough to a, a town where there's a lot of shopping and restaurants and stuff. So the developers have tr- worked hard to try to provide whatever the, the, non, the non-pilot would be interested in. Boating is another thing. Well, that's awesome. You know, it's limitless, all the possibilities as, as far as where you can live. Live on a lake, live near a city. You know, live out in the woods, live on your own air park, and you guys can help out. You know, I, I really I really appreciate what you folks have done. I've seen you at a lot of different air shows, and, and you're really out there. And, and you obviously are passionate about it. So that's one of the reasons. That I, if you're looking for a home and you want to live next to your airplane, you need to go to your website. And just give that website one more time. www.aviationhomes.com Anything else you want to tell us about living with your plane? Any, you know, the, what's the one reason you live with your airplane? It's just great fun. And if it's your passion, follow it. Do it now. <laughs> awesome. And, and Kathy, why do you live with your airplane? Well, the same reasons. And when, if your airplane's right there with you and you need to wash it or work on it, it's not, it, as you said, a 30-minute or 40-minute drive. It's right there next to the house. Awesome. Thanks so much, Aviation Homes and Land. It's Kathy and Carol, and I'm Carl Valeri with Sun and Fun Radio here at 2015 Your Sport Aviation Expo. And we'll see you at Sun and Fun. Well, folks, Carl Valeri with uh, Stuck Mike Avcast reporting for Sun and Fun Radio right here at the U.S. Sport Aviation Expo 2015. Roy Beiswinger, he's actually the publisher of Powered Sport Flying Magazine. Uh, for those of you that want to get into aviation, have bugs in your teeth, and be right out there in the air, this is the type of flying you need to do, uh, powered parachutes, etc. So, powered sport flying. Mm-hmm. You know what? What is powered sport flying? What what different types of avenues can I go towards? It is just what well, we kind of narrowed our scope down because there's actually a whole lot of kind of flying. Obviously, it doesn't involve power, mm-hmm. but what we 
focus on ourselves and what I love are the things that are engine related. You know, it could be gas engine, it could be electric, but it is, uh, you know, you're using a powered parachute for a wing or a parachute for a wing, you're using a paraglider for a wing, uh, the, the gyro guys, and that's a really big up and coming sport. Uh, they use a rotor for a wing, but the rotor's not powered. The power is actually an engine. It, it flies more like an airplane, actually, than it does a rotorcraft. Uh, the trikes are powered hang gliders, and they've become very, very sophisticated in the, in the last few years, although the simpler ones are still available. So what do you call the person at the beach that I see? He's running with this big fan on his back. Run, 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 and then he takes off. They don't even know what they call themselves. Um, <laughs> Here in the U.S., they call them uh, powered paragliders because they have a paraglider wing and, and they obviously have their little power system behind there. Uh, in Europe, they're known more as paramotors because they're focusing on the, uh, well, they, they just combine para and motor together. But that's what those guys are. So that'd be included in your magazine then, I assume. Yes, actually, we're the official publication for the United States Powered Paragliding Association. So as you, people become members of that, they get that too. So... You know, it's, one, it's something that I've always wanted to try, and a friend of mine just started the powered paragliding. He absolutely loves it. You know, his day job, he flies airliners, and then he wants to go back to his roots in aviation, and that's why he got involved with this. And for those of you that are powered pilots, say you're flying a 172, a 182, a Piper Cherokee, uh, is there some kind of training that me as an airline pilot or someone flying a Cherokee would need to do before they get into this type of aircraft? You know, any kind of transition requires training, and the you can it's it, it just like somebody who is very well trained to drive a tractor trailer doesn't want to just hop onto a motorcycle and jump on the freeway. You can get yourself hurt really bad. Uh, you know, the energies are lower, uh, so the energy management is different. Uh, just launching is different. Launching a gyroplane, you got to actually spin up the rotor with a system before you can get going with that. But with the powered paraglider specifically, the big thing is kiting. How do you turn this bag of dirty laundry into an airfoil? And you spend a lot of time, you know, just kiting and learning how to do that because they're they're very sophisticated wings because they're having to, that the entire system has to be something you can carry on your back. So the, you can't have a big engine to force yourself in the air. You have to have a very good, well-performing wing. So, Roy, what's your favorite type of powered sport flying? Oh, my gosh, that is tough. I mean, and, and really and truly, that's, that's why the magazine, I guess, is as varied as it is, because I like it all. I like the powered paraglider guys. I started out powered parachuting myself. Um, I like the – I'm, I'm gyroplane rated now, and I love that. Um, I, I, but I, I've always, you know, liked the airplanes too. And, the you know, you just – it, a lot of times the best thing to do is to figure out what kind of flying you're wanting to do. Uh, if you're wanting to go low and slow and actually interact more with the terrain and everything, powered paragliding, powered parachuting is where it's at because you're not even, you're not, you're hardly breaking 30 miles an hour, okay? Um, if you're wanting to go a little further, you want a fixed wing. You know, if you if you want to kind of cut it up and do it, the, the trikes and the gyros there. So it, they all have their purpose. Now, one of the reasons I think some people get into this sport, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, is it's a, it's a lot more affordable. Give us an idea uh, what type of prices we pay for the different type of aircraft that we'd be flying. Uh, it's all over the place. And, of course, the used prices are going to be less. But uh, for a 
powered paraglider, probably somewhere around 10,000 for new equipment. It's you know not incredibly unreasonable. And a lot of that's gonna be depending upon wing, depending upon the motor system. Uh, if you add wheels to it and turn it into a powered parachute, and you're wanting something that's uh, FAA rated, and you could do those are going to start around twenty thousand dollars, and probably go up to about thirty. Uh, trikes and gyroplanes are going to be in the sixties or seventies. I'm guessing it, it, again, it varies. And then with the airplanes, when you start getting the ultralights, you can get some really inexpensive uh, fourteen, fifteen thousand dollar kits that you can assemble. But you can get some of those Super Cubs that are up to around 150,000. So big, big, big variety. That that is a, a huge span there. Now, one of the comments is, uh, especially with light sport. Let's talk a little bit about that. Is that it's not affordable, really? They're saying, and and it. I've heard that comment over and over lately from friends. It is affordable. You compare a light sport to buying a 172 new. Boy, it's a, a huge difference. I like that upper end you talked about. But if you want to get in the air, you want to smell the orange groves here in Florida. There's, there's a very inexpensive way of doing it. A lot of times those prices you talked about are less than some of the down payments on some of these airplanes. So if you were to talk to somebody and say, hey, listen, you know, and they're telling you that light sport's expensive, you know, what would your comment be towards that? Well, basically you've made it. I mean, it's, if, if you're looking to buy new, uh, it's all, all new is always going to be more expensive. If you want to buy a 172 that was built in 72, okay, you're going to pay less than you're going to pay for anything new. And, you know, you look at the new prices of a Cessna right now, they're, I, you know, they're, they're way up into the six figures. I think they're like, uh, that's what I was thinking. I mean, you're talking about half a, getting close to half a mil now. So to me, that's expensive flying, okay? Um, if you want to get used in the light sport world, there is a lot of used stuff out there. Some of it is, you know, they call it different things. They call it experimental light sport or experimental amateur built or ultralights or something like that. But you can get the equivalent of the used stuff. So the, the powered paraglider equipment, you could get, you could save you could pay more for training than you can for the equipment itself when you're done because the equipment is that 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 cheap when you start getting used. So I'm someone who wants to get into this sport. What's a good place to go to find more about it? Uh, you know, for well, for us, uh, the you know, and we're, uh, we look at ourselves as a great uh, vantage point, but Powered Sport Flying Magazine, the website is PSF Magazine. Uh, for some of the individual sports, we have links to them too. But the United, the United States Powered Paragliding Association, which we mentioned here, is USPPA.org, and that's another great resource. Awesome, Roy. Is there anything else you want to tell somebody who's looking at doing this uh, as a hobby in the future? Someone who's say moving down from a Cessna into something a little less expensive. Get a, get a flight in one. I mean, that's. Yeah, but don't go out and buy something. Go find an instructor get in the back seat, get in the side seat, whatever, and just experience it. And the thing that you're going to find is when you're used to flying at 3,000 feet and above, everything's kind of washed out. You're, you're not really connected to the planet anymore. When you start getting low and slow, it's, it really is like a bird flies, and you're just going to love it. That's some sage advice. Roy Byswinger, it's uh, Powered Sport Flying, and this is Carl Valeri reporting for Sun and Fun Radio here, U.S. Sport Aviation Expo. This is Affordable Flying right here. Thanks so much, Roy. 
Hello, folks. This is Carl Blair with the Stuck Mike Avcast. We're here at the U.S. Sport Aviation Expo, and we are at the Aviation Insurance Resources Air Pros booth. And of course, Victoria Zyko, who's a co-host, is one of the insurance salespeople here. Wonderful group of people. Of course, we love Victoria. I'm standing here with. Chris Wolbert. Chris Wolbert is uh, one of the folks that, that knows quite a bit about insurance and is going to help us understand, you know, insuring the type of aircraft that they sell, sell here at the U.S. Sport Aviation Expo, light sport, that type of thing. Welcome, Chris. Hi, Carl. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, we so we're here today and we offer a variety of aviation insurance products from the fixed wing light sport as well as gyros and pretty much everything in between. So uh, we offer an array of aviation insurance products from hangar insurance, uh, flight schools for light sport, um, and also non-owned uh, renter's insurance as well. So if I'm someone that has like a powered parachute, powered paraglider, can I come to you? Uh, actually, we're not set up to do those currently. Uh, that has always been a tough challenge in the business to, to accommodate that product, but presently we don't have anything, a solution there. Okay, so primarily light sport. Uh, and if I own a light sport, uh, is my insurance going to be lower than my going out to buy an old like 172? Because a lot of people, they're looking at, should I buy the light sport or should I go and buy an older aircraft? You know, what's the, what's the difference going to be? Yeah, the, the, the uh, light sport, the uh, flight designs, if you will, the check sport cruisers, uh, they are a bit higher to insure than, say, your traditional Skyhawk. And mainly that's due to not that the, the check sport and the, the, the traditional LSAs are bad aircraft. Just the uh, size of fleet of the Skyhawks and the proven reliability there has uh, driven the rates down to, to very affordable uh, levels. And the size of fleet is such that the parts availability is, is much greater for the Skyhawk uh, Piper product. But, but rates have come down on the light sport, and they're still very reasonable to af afford. So what can affect my rate uh, as far as, say, a light sport is concerned? Uh, attending seminars, is there anything I can do? You know, recurrent training always helps uh, mainly make a model time. Time in your specific make a model. The more time you can accumulate there, the better off you'll be insurance-wise. I understand. Now, one of the things that that I've looked at is is actually purchasing a light sport and the prices of those. But if I was to go out and purchase a new 172, you know, we talked about pricing here. It's obviously going to be more money for a new 172, correct? That's correct. Yeah, if you're if you're buying a brand new Skyhawk, yes, it, it, at that hull level value, it will be more than say your uh, uh, new uh, new model uh, LSA. Yeah. So, and that's something I kind of wanted to stress because some people might be thinking, oh, you know, it's it's just as expensive as buying a new 172, and that's that's not true. We're talking apples to older airplanes because that's usually the, the traditional type of person that moves here. Also, people that are moving from an old other airplane, uh, say a, a Bonanza, now they they don't want to have to deal with the medical, they don't want to have to deal with a few other things, and they're moving to a light sport. Uh, having that that background with you folks, will that help them with their rate? Yes, uh, all your total time will will help out with your overall rate on your light sport and all your ratings if you have an instrument rating all that does help even though you may not be flying your light sport aircraft ifr it does come into the equation of uh, uh getting the rate down for your lsa aircraft how about the folks that are uh you know they're flight instructors and they own their own airplane and here's this is a sticky point here people don't realize if you teach in your aircraft you need to have insurance right that's right you you should have some public liability depending on what state you live in uh, it's required to have at least liability insurance. So if I'm going to hold out 
for instruction with, say, my 172, there is going to be a big difference in the rates, I'm assuming. Uh, rates on the commercial level for instruction and rental are pretty comparable between light sport and your standard airworthiness aircraft, for the most part. All right, so there's not that much of a difference there. No, no, not a lot of disparity there when you're comparing same haul value of, say, a Skyhawk to that of an LSA. Gotcha. Now, where can they find you? Uh, I know you're here today at the U.S. Sport Aviation Expo, and this is the Affordable Aircraft Expo, uh, but online, where can they find you? Uh, AIR dash pros pros dot com or call us on our 800 number 877-247-7767 awesome and you know the, the folks at air pros not just because victoria is on our show but the folks here are really friendly they're great to speak with and full disclosure i've actually had insurance with you folks and and you've been been great i mean you know, the customer service has been awesome is there anything new that you have coming down the pike insurance wise uh, we do have a, probably the latest thing is the non-owner product, the renter insurance. We do now have on our line, on our website, and uh, folks can purchase that directly on our website, pay with a credit card, and have a policy emailed to them immediately, and have a policy. They're all set to go. They don't even actually need to call us uh, unless they would like to. So they can get a policy on the weekend, um, pay with a credit card, and they're emailed a PDF policy instantly. So is that, is that moving in that direction still, where the, the school is, is requiring you to have renter's insurance? Uh, a lot of schools, several of the schools we do work with do require renter insurance, um, and it's beneficial to, it really is the best way to do it for the renter as well. That policy, they have their own policy, their own liability protection, and it does follow them. If they fly elsewhere at another school or a friend's aircraft, it carries over there as well. So whether you're a light sport owner or somebody who's a flight instructor or somebody who's going to rent, uh, you can cover everybody, right? That's correct. A to Z. <laughs> awesome, Chris. I appreciate you talking to us at uh, Chris Wolbert. And uh, the website, one more time. AIR-PROS, P-R-O-S.com. AIRPROS.com, AIR-PROS.com. Carl Valeri here at the U.S. Sport Aviation Expo 2015 with Chris Wolbert at AIRPROS. Well, folks, Carl Valeri with uh, Sun and Fun Radio reporting here at the U.S. Sport Aviation Expo 2015. I'm here at the Seaplane Pilots booth and uh, Pilots Association booth, and there's a, it's a really neat booth. The Seaplane Pilots, who are they? And uh, introduce yourself. <laughs> okay, I'm Steve McCoy with uh, the Seaplane Pilots Association. I'm the executive director. We are the advocacy organization, the AOPA, uh, if you will, for seaplanes. We keep the waterways open. We work on insurance discounts. We work on safety programs all kinds of advocacy. We even have a, a scholarship program for young professional aviators uh, where they can get a free seaplane rating. Awesome. We'll have to learn more about that. But uh, hey, you know, we're at the uh, show where there's affordable aircraft. Every time I think seaplanes, I, I think this isn't really affordable. Uh, correct me. <laughs> oh, loaded question. Okay. Uh, it's more affordable than people, uh, I think, would imagine. Number one, the rating is very affordable, and that's the most important part. Go get the rating uh, about, about three days, probably the most fun you'll ever have doing the rating, and under $2,000. So it's a nice rating to add on. It's going to make you a better pilot. It'll enhance your stick and rudder skills and giving you some other things. As far as the flying is concerned, uh, get creative. Look at a J3 Cub. Look at a Cessna 120. Look at smaller aircraft. The LSAs that we're here at the show. Uh, lower maybe your expectations. Think about flying more. 
with something that you can afford to fly more than getting a 206 that's going to cost you $300 or $400 an hour to fly. So to me, one of the big keys is what can you afford to fly more? If you can afford to fly it without thinking about it as much, then you're going to get more use out of it. You're going to get more enjoyment out of it. Well, it's an incredible society here, and I know it's affordable, but there's there's those of us who can afford to, to fly anything we want, which is awesome. And But there is the middle-of-the-road seaplane pilot, the average seaplane pilot, and you're a great advocacy group, but you also have some social activities, uh, and you're able to get people together. Uh, name a couple of those. Well, we do safety seminars here at the show. We're doing a safety seminar every day. We're starting some other programs where we're going to have other kinds of workshops on fire building and survival training and other things. But we have the corn roast at Oshkosh, 750 seaplane pilots, live music, the flying musicians. We gave away oh thousands and thousands of dollars worth of prizes, uh, an inflatable boat, an outboard motor from Honda this year. So we do a lot of things, number one, to make this fun. We want to keep it fun. We want to get people engaged. We want to get youth involved more. So we're always coming up with new ways to do that. So if I am thinking about a seaplane rating, I don't have mine yet, uh, what would push me over the edge? I always dream about flying to some island, pulling up to the beach and getting out and putting my toes in the sand and then jumping in my plane and flying away. Am I going to really be able to do that? Yes. <laughs> Matter of fact, too bad the, the listeners can't see the flip-flop flyer shirt right here that we have. Uh, you can. You know, we pride ourselves on the relaxed nature of it. The bottom line is it's still flying. Every flight, your life depends on it. But where we go, most people don't get to see the areas we go, and that's really important. We can pull up on a remote beach on the other side of a lake from most metropolises, in 10 minutes, you can get a seaplane into something that is fairly remote and fairly inaccessible. So that's one of the beauties. And once you get there, you can picnic, you can stay overnight, you can fish. We carry our fishing rods, go fishing from the floats on the airplanes, do all kinds of things. So, yes, it is a reality. Matter of fact, here's a photo, again, you can't see, of my wife and I in Bimini on our 60th birthday. We flew a 206 out to Bimini and pulled up on the beach. And so, yes, it is a reality. All right, you, you piqued my interest, and I'm sure other people listening. How do I find out more about becoming a seaplane pilot and getting involved in the organization? Well, track the Seaplane Pilots Association down at the shows. We're at every show, generally, and usually we have a pretty good booth. Uh, also, go to seaplanes.org, the word seaplanes.org, and you can go on our website, find out more information, and it'll be very useful. That's probably the best way. Join Facebook. Look us up on Facebook. We've got almost 7,000 people following us on Facebook, a real active community there. Um, it, just do a web search, and you'll find us, and we'll hook you up. Oh, awesome. I know you have to get going, and you have another seminar, of course, <laughs> uh, one of many seminars that you folks do, and that's one thing we really appreciate about the Seaplane Pilots Association. Thanks for speaking to us at Sun and Fun Radio right here at the U.S. Sport Aviation Expo 2015. Great, and thank you. We appreciate it very much. Thanks so much. Carl Valeri, again, U.S. Sport Aviation Expo here at 2015. This is Carl Valeri reporting for Stuck Mike Avcast and Sun and Fun Radio here at the U.S. Sport Aviation Expo 2015. Uh, there's great aircraft great show today some great organizations one of those is called the broken wing project and this is a project that helps wounded veterans fly i'm here with the uh, director of veterans affairs tommy welcome tommy thanks for having me and tommy this uh i, I love these projects you know it's uh, we have a lot of veterans uh, that have done so much for our co country and also have given us the opportunity to fly in airspace that is open and available which isn't true in most places uh what exactly does the broken wing project do 
Well, we see today that it's quite unfortunate that many of our veterans get left behind. They're not taken care of, they're not given the promises that they were promised when they signed up. And somebody needs to pick up that slack out there and, and show these veterans that they're not forgotten about, that they do still matter. They've done our country a great service. So what we've done with all of our knowledge in aviation and everything and, and the new category, relatively new category of light sport airplanes, we can circumvent the process of having to get an actual physical done through uh, an AME, an aviation medical examiner. And that way, um, as long as they have a valid driver's license, they can fly. So people like myself who are amputees, we also have paraplegics that are, are interested. Um, we have special hand controls that we've designed to be capable of teaching up to a triple amputee to fly our light sport airplanes, as long as they have their right hand and their left elbow. We provide everything for them. We give them all of the instruction material before they even get here so that the first day that they're here, they're ready to take their ground school test. And they, they do the written exam, they get that out of the way and then every day that it's possible as long as the weather's nice we're going up and flying and weather permitting in a good four to six weeks we could get these guys turned around with a light sport license some of these are people who thought they'd probably never walk again and now they can fly well this is awesome I, you know honestly i didn't realize you were you were an amputee and also uh thank you for your service uh we you know it's incredible to see folks when they get into an airplane and they become a pilot it really changes them in, in, in many, many different ways. But now you're talking about somebody who's like an amputee, like yourself, or, or somebody who's been wounded, and, and now they're flying. It, it does so much to promote their inner health, I feel. And, and it's amazing what you folks are doing. How do they get involved in this program? Um, the best way to do it is to just contact us. We have our website, brokenwingproject.com, as well as a Facebook page. It's just facebook.com slash brokenwingproject. And that'll have all my contact information. Like I said, I'm the director of Veterans Affairs. So any veteran that's interested, they'll email me personally, and I'll send them the welcome letter, and it'll have all the information that they need to get started. The enrollment process is pretty simple. They'll send me their information just proving that they they served, their injuries, we'll figure out what kind of medications they're on, make sure that none of those are uh, prohibited through the FAA, and we'll, we'll get them out here and up in the air, get some altimeter therapy for them. <laughs> altimeter therapy, that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, you know, it, it, altimeter therapy is good for everybody, you know, you know veterans, etc. You know, one of the things that, that is always a problem with most people when they look towards aviation is the costs. Um, what do you do to help with those costs? Now, with light sport in itself, because the planes are so much smaller, they're more affordable to the common man to be able to fly to begin with. That's why this category was created, to get more people involved in aviation. Um, we run our airplanes off of uh, non-ethanol MOGAS. We don't even need any special aviation fuel whatsoever, so we save a little bit there as well. When it comes down to the Broken Wing Project, these veterans coming through our program do not spend a single dime. It's it costs us around $5,000 to train each veteran, and while they're here for the duration of their training, we have places for them to stay. They live with the people who all work for the Broken Wing Project. We have spare bedrooms. We, they become part of our family for the time that they're here, and we kind of adopt them. And, and it's, it, we want this to be the place where their life turned back around because they've already been injured one time and life has, has thrown them a 180 and, and they're sitting there with their hand in their heads wondering what they're gonna do with the rest of, of their days. Um, when they get 
in that airplane and they take off for the first time, you see their eyes light up as soon as the wheels leave the ground. You can feel it every time and, and you know instantly that they have gone from such a depressed state to just that euphoria. They can leave all their problems on the ground. I mean, at least that's how I look at it. And I, I agree with that. Leaving your problems on the ground is wonderful. Aviation is just an incredible thing. It, it is life-changing. Uh, and it changes your state, that's for sure. Uh, how about you? Uh, tell us a little bit about your experience. I mean, what, you actually went through this program? Yes, I'm currently going through it right now. I lost my leg three years ago in Afghanistan. I was a combat engineer, so it was my job to look for IEDs. Just so happened I found one the wrong way one day. Unfortunately, that resulted in an amputation. And yeah, of course, I was super depressed and down about that. I just like everybody goes through it. But I realized that I needed to push forward and, and learn my new boundaries and break those boundaries and see what I can do. So I got into back into surfing and I've always wanted to become a pilot. So I started really considering trying to become a pilot. And that's when I've learned how exactly difficult it was to get involved in aviation as somebody with an injury that I have. Uh, it was just jumping through hoops left and right, trying to get approved through the, the physical examiners. Um, and I met Doc Bailey, my boss, the owner of the Broken Wing Project, and he explained to me how light sport works, and I was all for it. I jumped on board. I literally, I met him a year ago at this same uh, expo, and that's when he offered me the job. I drove home to Palm Beach County, put in my two weeks, and I drove up to DeLand, Florida two weeks later. I was ready. I wanted to just fly. And so now uh, Doc has seen how, how much passion I've had for aviation and has decided to make me the director of Veterans Affairs so that I can stay involved in the program. My end goal now, I, I'm going through the training myself. I just had my first solo a couple of weeks ago. I'm learning in a tail dragger, an Aranka champ. It's a lot of fun to fly. I love it. Um, and my goal after that is to continue my training and become one of the certified flight instructors for the Broken Wing Project so that I can... I can give a little bit more insight to some of these other guys. Well, first of all, congratulations on, on, on soloing. That's, a, that's an awesome, awesome experience you'll remember for the rest of your life. And, and you know what, I, I think it'll, it'll be great, you know, once, once you do become an instructor. I think you'll be a, a great instructor. Obviously, you know, very, very articulate. You know, I, I can only imagine what you've been through. Obviously, uh, you know, uh, I've never been through that myself. But we do appreciate what you've done, you know. And, and us on the civilian side, we appreciate what all of our veterans have done, giving us the freedoms we have here back in the United States. Uh, but you know what? What we th sometimes feel powerless, though, because we don't know as civilians what we can do. So what can we do? Here's, this project is one of them. How do we get involved? Where can we find it? <clears throat> With the Broken Wing Project, we are trying to do this all on our own right now. We are not taking any governmental help. We're not going to get any grants. We don't want the headache. We all know how hard it is to deal with the VA, us veterans do anyway. And uh, unfortunately, some terrible light has been shed on them in, in the past just recently. So we're relying on the help of of our fellow Americans. Um, like I said, these veterans have done us a great service. They deserve to have these, these great things in life. They deserve to be happy too and not to be uh, left on the sidelines. So anybody out there who, who would want to help, we take volunteers, we take donations, send cash. Yeah. We, the, the more that we get, the more we can train. And one of the best parts about our organization is that 100% of donations completely, they directly benefit 
combat wounded veterans. None of our employees take a salary from our money. All of it goes back into the Broken Wing Project. It pays for fuel for the planes, it pays for training, and it all goes to them. Well, that's awesome. That's something everybody could get behind. That, that's absolutely terrific. If someone's listening right now, say somebody who's been injured, uh, you know, I know a lot of people are afraid to step up and, and speak with somebody. Is there somebody they can talk to about possibly getting involved with this? You can always talk to me. I am, I am an open door. Like I said, brokenwingproject.com, as well as our Facebook page, has my contact information. You can get directly in touch with me. I've got a lot of insight into what what life is like as a, a combat wounded veteran and anybody who would like to speak about that or get more involved, learn more about anything, I, I will answer any question that you have. Awesome, Tommy. Thanks for taking the time to speak with us. And uh, again, we're going to put that out on the website, brokenwingproject.com. Thanks for your service once again. We really appreciate what you do. We appreciate what the organization is doing for those veterans that have been forgotten. But uh, now this is a great way for them to get some healing, a healing process. And it's really tr it's amazing what folks have done, and they've stepped up just like yourself to do. Again, thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I just want everybody out there listening to know that the only limitations that you have in life are the ones that you set yourself. So keep pushing, and you'll be surprised at the things that you can achieve. Well said, one. With that, again, Carl Valeri with the Stuck Mike Avcast reporting for Sun and Fun Radio here at the U.S. Sport Aviation Expo uh, 2015. Make sure you check it out, brokenwingproject.com, a great organization. Well, folks, this is Carl Valeri reporting for Sun and Fun Radio on the Stuck Mike Avcast right here at the 2015 U.S. Sport Aviation Expo. And I'm here with a special person and uh, a real important thing that they're talking about today. I'm here with Katie Pribble from AOPA. What are you doing to here today, uh, Katie? Well, we've got a couple things. We are really excited to be here at Light uh, Sport Expo. We uh, love seeing our members, and there are a lot of them here today. We're just really excited to be here this week. So we've got a couple things going on. Uh, we have our 152 reimagined airplane here, and this is going to be our sweepstakes airplane this year. Uh, we're just promoting the concept through the 152 reimagined and 150 reimagined project that you can take uh, old airplanes, refurbish them uh, tip to tail, and have a really neat, affordable airplane to fly. Perfect for flying clubs, flight schools, partnerships. You know, it's a great way to fly for about $65 an hour if you've got a good group of people together. Uh, it's a fun airplane. It's a proven airplane. And, you know, when we take this thing around the country, it's bright yellow. People love it. They love to get in it. Few people have been in a, in a like new 150 or 152. You know, we all flew these when we were learning to fly, and uh, I know the one I flew in was was far from new. Uh, so it's really fun to fly these things. People are are having a really great time looking at it and and dreaming about winning it uh, this year in the sweepstakes. Well, we're here at the U.S. Light Sport Aviation Expo, and, and you know, this is where aviation starts. Light airplanes, like we were talking about, 150s, 152s, all the different light sports. That's what's exciting about this. And, uh, but there's some other things that make it affordable to fly, and there's some, some hurdles. One of them is actually our medical and the third-class medical. You've been in the forefront of an initiative with the third-class medical. Tell us a little bit about what you folks are doing and, and what the case is right now. Sure. Um, as many people probably remember, EA and AOPA joined together and put together the, uh, the petition uh, several years ago. Uh, when Mark Baker came on board last fall, it hadn't moved very far, and it became his number one priority to make sure that we see some movement and get across the goal line on third-class medical reform. Um, last year, uh, we had the work with some members of Congress who put uh, forth the General Aviation Pilot Protection Act, uh, which some push some pressure on the FA, frankly, and uh, they moved out last summer with uh, 
their uh, proposed rulemaking. Uh, the process of rulemaking for third-class medical reform through the FAA, through the administration, is that it left the FAA last July, uh, is now in DOT um, for their review, and then supposed to go to Office of Management and Budget, OMB, uh, and then it'll go out for comment uh, to the public. Uh, the problem, however, is that uh, DOT was supposed to have 90 days to review it. Now we're coming up on seven months. Um, so our members and, and Mark Baker, AOPA, uh, EA, quite frustrated that we haven't seen more movement on this uh, faster. So we're working it from different angles. We'll continue to work uh, and push on the DOT and OMB to get it out for comment and uh, get the rule uh, implemented. But we're going to work with Congress and push them legislatively if we have to. And that's what it's looking like, frankly. So let's back up just a second and, and explain to us what exactly you're trying to do with this bill. What it, how is it going to affect me as the pilot? What we'd like to do is expand what has been already successful in the light sport arena, expand the ability for pilots to be able to fly um, with the driver's license, essentially. So it's already proven. We know it works. We know it's safe. We just want to expand that to more pilots. Uh, it takes down the barriers of getting into general aviation, of staying in general aviation. We want pilots to be able to stay in their airplanes, their certified aircraft, stay active and engaged in the community. That's good for everybody. That's good for not only, you know, every segment of general aviation that's good for. That's what we want to do. We just want to expand on something that we know is already working and we know is safe. Sure, and you're really promoting this industry. And here's, here's something, though. I, I, you know, we're pilots. We like to see numbers. Uh, is there any way, or maybe you have some numbers in your head as far as statistics you've looked back at and have determined that this is safe? I know you just said, you know, with the light sport it's worked out. Is it, do you have statistics where you can prove this? Um, very few fatalities um, can actually be attributed to um, medical incapacitation through light sport. I, I don't have the number exactly off the top of my head, um, but we know it's uh, it's very low single digits and that that's fair enough and I, I i like the fact that you've you've said that because i personally just looking at it uh, have said to myself why do we have the third class medical and, and what's the purpose of it so we're kind of revisiting that so that's terrific so if they want to say somebody's listening to this right now and they're online where can they go to actually support the cause there's several places uh, AOPA uh, online you can has a letter writing uh, uh, website you can go and send a letter to uh, your member of Congress uh, EA has the same thing you cannot send enough letters to Congress so if you want to send one through AOPA send one through EA that's okay we've got the petition here as well uh, we've had this petition out at all of the events that we've had um, the last year or so Sun and Fun last year's Air Venture and all our fly-ins we have it here we're on the 8,000 to 10,000 banner so if you're here at Lights, uh, the Expo this week, please stop by and sign the petition. Uh, we're taking it down to D.C. and uh, using it as wallpaper at the FAA. That's the plan. So, Great. And, and, you know, we really appreciate all the effort you've put in, Katie. Uh, Katie, just a little bit of background. How long have you been working with AOPA? Uh, it's actually been two and a half years. Before that, I was eight years with the General Aviation Manufacturers Association. And uh, before that, I flew for the airlines. So I grew up flying in Montana. It was, uh, I love aviation, and I love being back in general aviation. The airlines were great, but my passion is in GA, and I love being able to, to work with members and, and work towards um, a healthy GA industry. We want to keep it vital. It's, I want my kids to fly GA when they grow up. 
You know, one of our favorite pilots, of course, here at Sun and Fun Radio is is Katie because of the fact that she loves aviation, just like you said, and also she's an advocate for us, and we really, really appreciate what you've done for us, and we hope you'll continue on, not just with this issue, but other issues in the future. Thanks so much for talking to us, Katie. Thank you, Carl. Carl Valeri, Sun and Fun Radio, reporting here at the Light Sport Expo. Well, folks, this is Carl Valeri with Sun and Fun Radio reporting right here at the 2015 U.S. Sport Aviation Expo. And I'm sitting in front of a really cool-looking, uh, kind of a, an off-orange Sea Ray. Sea Ray is one of my favorite amphibious aircraft, and I'm here with Kevin Oakes, who's uh, the salesperson that's representing Sea Ray. Uh, Kevin, I, I heard you talking before about this, and, and you described it as, as something similar to a car. What, what, how would you describe this Sea Ray? Well, the way I've always described it, it's, it's, it's kind of the Jeep Wrangler of airplanes. Uh, the intention is to have an airplane that you can go anywhere and land on water, uh, taxi up to a beach, spend the day, enjoy water activities, and then fly home to the airport and put it away in the hangar. So uh, it definitely has adventure in its blood. You know, one of the most exciting things I've seen with the Sea Ray is pulling up to a beach. My friend has one, and, and, and just beaching the aircraft, getting out, having lunch, and, and then heading out for the day afterwards. Uh, that's something that's a little bit different with this. It seems a little more stable in the, in the water as opposed to something on floats. Is that true? Yes, it's very stable in the water. Uh, it handles a lot like a jet ski. Once it's up on a step, you can throw it around, and you can really have a lot of fun with this airplane before you even take off. Um, the cost of operation of this airplane is very low, so it kind of caters to that go-anywhere spirit. So we're looking at a sliding canopy. So can I fish from this? Uh, you can fish from it. Uh, you're going to want a collapsible fishing pole, I believe. <laughs> I understand. Tell us a little bit about the. <laughs> tell us a little bit about the actual uh, the aircraft itself. You know, the engine and also the gross weight. Sure. Well, what we brought out today was a factory-built FAA-certified Sea Ray Elite, and it has the 914 turbocharged Rotax engine with 115 horsepower, uh, carbon fiber hull uh, engine cowling, um, and uh, enough in the panel to go pretty much anywhere you would want to, whether it be controlled airspace or out in the middle of, uh, of the bush. So, uh, again, with that go-anywhere spirit, the airplane is well-equipped, uh, and this one is our, uh, our factory demo. So how about uh, Light Sport, uh, also experimental? Do you have an experimental version? Uh, we do offer a kit still. Of course, we've been around for 22 years, and uh, most people know Sea Ray as a kit and a home-build aircraft. Uh, we've been delivering the certified aircraft for the last uh, 13, 14 months or so, but we do still offer a kit, and uh, that's available for those who want to build their own and fly experimental. So let's talk cost. One of the things we're here at U.S. Sport Aviation Expo is cost. It's, this is the Affordable Aircraft Expo. Uh, if I want to get in one of these, what am I looking at price range? Sure. Well, the Sea Ray Sport starts at $137,000. Uh, there are a few options available beyond that. The Sea Ray Elite is $158,000. But you can purchase an airframe kit for $36,000 and change and build your own aircraft, and you'll save quite a bit uh, with some blood, sweat, and tears. Well, that's a lot cheaper than a, a certified aircraft like a 172. You know, it's, it's about half the cost there. Listen, I, if I want to go fly one of these, you know, I've, I've been in planes with my friends, but I want somebody to really show me the ropes. How could I do that if I'm not here right now and, and in the future I want to get, say, a, a, a test flight or a demonstration? How could I do that? Sure. Well, you could look at SeaRay.com uh, is a good place to start. That's our website. We do factory tours and demonstration flights at our factory in Tavares, Florida. So if you're in the Orlando area, come up and see us. We'd be happy to put you in the air and let you experience what the Sea Ray is all about. Awesome. Tavares, Florida, and that's not far from Orlando International if I was to fly in using the airlines also? Uh, about 45 minutes. 45 minutes. Great. 
What else about this airplane have you heard from people other than the fact that they can get up on a beach? What's what kind of fun things do you see people doing with this? Oh, this it's it's as varied as there are pilots for this airplane. But uh, I think flying low and slow. A few hundred feet off the water is something that's just such a unique experience. Our aircraft can be flown with the canopy open, so it's like riding in a convertible car. And, and, and if you're into sightseeing and looking at wildlife and being really out in the middle of nowhere uh, and flying over beautiful scenery, there's no better airplane for that. How about someone like myself, a little bit larger, and uh, bringing somebody else along with me? What type of challenges might I have in, in this aircraft? Well, and uh, with a light sport aircraft, we have a max gross weight of 1,430 pounds. Uh, it's usually one, one uh, person and a full tank of fuel or two people and a half tank of fuel. So you just have to plan your day out accordingly. Awesome, awesome. Again, uh, thanks for talking to us. Anything else you want to tell us about the airplane before we leave you? I could talk to you for a long time about the airplane. The best thing to do is if you're interested in a C-Ray is to come see us and go fly it because it's one of those airplanes that's better than the sum of its parts. And it flies. It's an extraordinary bird to fly. It's also pretty cool looking. It looks fast just sitting here. So I, I think it's an awesome aircraft. And uh, if you want to check it out, just go to C-Ray.com and uh, we'll have a link off the website. Uh, thanks for talking to us, Kevin Oaks. And this is Carl Valeri reporting for Sun and Fun Radio and the Stuck Mike Avcast. Well, folks, this is Carl Valeri reporting for the Stuck Mike Avcast and Sun and Fun Radio right here in front of this awesome-looking sport cruiser. cruiser excuse me. And uh, I'm here with Colby. Colby's actually a representative. And uh, if you remember, I talked about this a few years ago. I got to go up in one of these sport cruisers, and it was so much fun. Sleek aircraft, looks like a fighter, flies really well, a lot of fun. Tell us, uh, uh, Colby, welcome in and tell us a little bit about the aircraft and uh, why somebody would look towards the sport cruiser. Well, um, a little bit about the aircraft. It's, is a, uh, it's empty weight is 750, max is 1320 per LSA rules. And uh, it's got, so with fuel, full fuel, it's got a useful load of about uh, 300. And um, uh, it's got a 120 knot cruise. Um, and it's just a great little airplane. And I'd say mainly the reason someone would want to choose uh, this more than others is because uh, it's just got a sleek design for one. Um, the instrumentation that we have in here is really good. And uh, also the ballistics recovery chute. Um, it's a really nice safety feature that they... Uh That's interesting you said the ballistic recovery chute. That's something I would see in a Cirrus. Seems like a kind of an expensive option. This is in a sport cruiser. Uh, that could be a big selling point, especially for people that have family that are nervous about getting into a single engine, especially flying over water, the swamps, etc. and at night. Um, how much more is that to put into this? Um, for an installation, it's about five to ten grand, I believe. Um, so it's not it's not too bad, but it is it does jump the price a little bit. So give us some some pricing options with this the sport cruiser. Start with the low and go to the high, and what do those include? So the low, we actually took out. Um, we used to actually carry a uh, six pack instrumentation, um, just the standard, but uh, we stopped doing that for the 2015. Um, now um, with the Dynan Skyview. Um, well, sorry, let me backtrack. Um, it starts with uh, some of the bit more basic Dynon systems. It starts at um, about 140, and then it'll go up to one like high 160s uh, with the sky view, with the synthetic vision, and all the bells and whistles. And the other thing, it's a it's a sweet ride. I mean, it's comfortable uh, interior. Tell us a little bit about the interior and the, and the comfort features. The interior, um, the new the the, the thing um, that's new, uh, especially with the 2015, that is uh, comfortable. Um, that's got, they got all the armrests on them, and uh, um, 
other than that, uh, there's not much else changed. Um, the, a lot of paint schemes, there are new paint schemes, um, which uh, the interior uh, will coincide with that. And um, it's the seats kind of kind of look like racy little sporty seats. I like them. They're uh, very comfortable. And, um, yeah. So one question. It's a bubble canopy. So uh, one thing, I've flown a lot of airplanes that have bubble canopies, and I always get hot. Um, how do you prevent this in this aircraft? Well, we can actually uh, attach a sun visor to the top. It's uh, retractable. And, um, I mean, we were working. I mean, that's about the only thing really that we can do right now. We were working on trying to put in an air conditioning system in there. Um, but it's just really hard to get it, um, get it like certified with the FA weight and balance, all that, because it also decreases useful load and nobody really likes that. Plus it's very expensive, not very expensive, but it's more, it just costs money to put in. And so, uh, we haven't really had anyone really want to do it, but, um, you know, the light sport has really proven itself. And I think this is a great option for, for somebody who's looking to, you know, partner on an aircraft or buy one themselves. Uh, yeah, I'm curious, do you know, do you sell this primarily to single owners or folks that are uh, partners? Well, we actually all we uh, there's a lot of sales just to single owners, um, just guys who just are getting into life sport. They see our plane, they like it, and um, but we also do a thing in Addison. Um, it's called a sports share program. Uh, you can get, I mean, really as many guys as you want to. I mean, just to make sure you have to make sure like times would work. Um, but uh, you can you can co-own the airplane. Basically, it's almost it's almost like what it sounds sports share it's like a timeshare uh you would just uh schedule it on our on our website and what on the times you would want and uh, it really cuts down the cost for a lot of the guys who don't want to spend the money to get their whole own airplane well that's why we're here today i mean this is u.s sport expo you know we we want to cut down the cost of aviation those prices by the way you were saying are brand new aircraft i mean you go out and find another brand new aircraft you're paying double or triple that uh, so that sounds high to some people because they think they can go out and buy an aircraft. But I tell you, you're buying something really old. And, and here you're buying something brand new, new equipment. Uh, how about IFR certification? IFR certification? Well, I mean, with the LSA, you pretty much can't get IFR certification. But, I mean, with the Skyview system, a lot of people are saying, like, they, there have been a lot of testimonials that, um, like, people will get into, like, IMC conditions uh, accidentally and... Uh, they'd really have no problem because I mean, with a synthetic vision, you can literally uh, see any obstruction um, relative to your height and uh, also any terrain. Um, and you can actually see the runway on the screen. So like we've had, I've had uh, someone over there actually is an instructor and he's, uh, he's uh, shot some instrument approaches and he's actually gone down and just using the little trim tabs on the screen, uh, gotten it to basically just to where he flares and then he'll, he'll uh, turn the autopilot off and he can, you just land, and it was pretty accurate, he said. Awesome. So if you get yourself into trouble, you can get yourself out. Uh, VFR airplane, it's wonderful, a lot of fun. Uh, I, I like the visibility. What's your favorite part about the the Sport Cruiser? Uh, my favorite part is honestly probably that it has a, uh, a stick rather than a yoke. Um, I think that's it just makes it really sporty, and it's a very uh, responsive airplane. Um, and just, just as a whole, I just like it all. Awesome, awesome. Well, I appreciate you talking to us. Again, how can they find out about the Sport Cruiser? Um, you can actually go to our website, uh, ussportaircraft.com. And, uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's based out in Addison, yeah. Awesome, awesome. I appreciate your, your speaking to us. We also have somebody else I'd like to like bring in here and talk just a, just a second. Uh, introduce yourself real quickly. I know everybody, once you hear his voice, you know who we're talking about. 
Uh, Stu Stevenson, Pilot Stu, yeah, Pilot's Journey Podcast. <laughs> Stu, it's great to see you. He just walked up, and he actually is here uh, representing Sport Cruiser and uh, U.S. Sport Aircraft. This is a, uh, we were just talking about this great aircraft, fun to fly, just asking him about what he likes about the aircraft and why he likes flying it. I love it for the visibility. makes me feel like a fighter pilot. So why do you like it, Stu? Uh, it's got a very aerobatic feel, like you said. Um, very light on the controls. Uh, I got in the business entirely because of this plane. Uh, three or four years ago, I was an accountant and a CPA and an engineer and just wanted to fly one of these things. Saw it at Oshkosh, found a guy who was flying them, and now we're partners in the importer of the plane. Awesome. And, and how are things going? I've uh, been doing really well. Uh, we've uh, had a little downturn uh, earlier in the year, but now things are picking up again. Uh, we were out of inventory for a while. Uh, now we've got four new planes that should be here this week, and uh, it seems to be going gangbusters. Let's talk a little bit about the show, if you don't mind. Uh, we, uh, you know, it's a little bit overcast here today. Uh, there is some excitement. Uh, I'm excited because this is an affordable aircraft show for me. This is where aviation starts. Uh, what have you heard? Are you are you excited to be here? First of all, I know you are. You must be because you're in front of aircraft. And, and uh, do you think you're going to get a lot of folks here? Uh, so far, it's been a little bit down, but I think the weather has a lot to do with that. People that fly in obviously can't get in right now. If we've got two planes we couldn't bring in, so we just have one at the show. Um, but I think, particularly as we get closer to the weekend, we'll see a lot more people. Friday is probably going to be our biggest day if it, history proves uh, to repeat itself. I love light sport. I'm not going to do any predictions about the future of light sport because everybody likes to talk about that. It, it, you know, we we heard uh, I forget who it was said light sport's dead, but it's not. And uh, and I really think this is the place to go if you're going to start flying and you want a new aircraft. You have to get a look at light sport. You really do. If you look at You've got two choices, either go experimental, uh, amateur built, or go light sport. Uh, if you want a less expensive plane, you can certainly get a good Cessna 172 or a Warrior for less money. But it's not going to have all the bells and whistles, the electronics, the parachute, and all that stuff. Well, I, I tell you, I would, I'd love to go up for a flight in this. It's a, a little bit overcast right now, but maybe, maybe later we'll do that. Let's work on it. Awesome. Stu, thanks so much for talking to us. Uh, U.S. Sport Aircraft. Again, that's ussportaircraft.com. Carl Valeri reporting for Sun and Fun Radio right here at the U.S. Sport Aviation Expo. Yeah, this is where aviation begins. Well, folks, this is Carl Valeri reporting for Sun and Fun Radio on the Stuck Mike Avcast. I'm here with Charlie, who's in front of an airplane that, gosh, you know, it's, it's silver. It's not painted yet, and uh, it's got a lot of signatures on it, and they call it the One Week Wonder. Uh, Charlie, welcome, and, and what is this aircraft? Well, Carl, uh, if you were at Oshkosh last year, um, you would have seen us making or constructing this aircraft in seven days, and, and we basically got it done just in time. We finished at 3 o'clock on Sunday afternoon, airworthiness certificate, got it out, taxied in front of the crowds right before the Thunderbirds took off last year, and uh, it was quite a lot of effort. We had over 2,500 volunteers help. Uh, by pulling rivets and other forms of construction on the aircraft and so this year we've got it out on tour it's not as you've noticed it's still in its uh, original bare aluminum because we're showing off all the signatures of everybody who helped and uh, it's been a lot of fun wherever you wherever you take it people are interested well, I guess the real question is why why Charlie why a one-week wonder well you know, I head up the home-built programs at EAA, and, and I was talking with Sebastian Heinz of Zenith Aircraft about two, well, a year and a half ago or so, and, you know, they had done this, his dad had done it, Chris Heinz, the designer of the aircraft, had built an aircraft in a week back in 1976 at Oshkosh, and I had mentioned to Sebastian, I'm like, man, I'd really like to do that again to draw some attention to home-building. 
and he was all for it and so we did it last year and it was a huge success and uh, the only thing I know is we'll do it again and a hell of a lot sooner than than you know waiting 30 years almost to do it again um, but it was a tremendous amount of effort by both EAA and Zenith and our volunteers to get it done so it's not going to become an every year kind of thing well, I'm thinking, gee, they could do it in a week, so could I. But in reality, how many hours would this take? <laughs> well, they typically take somewhere around seven or 800 hours for somebody to, to put together a, a, like a, a kit like this, a Zenith 750. Um, these all sheet metal designs take advantage of the modern kit technology, and so they go together a lot faster than in the old days. Um, I mean, it it's pretty amazing the, the amount of prefabrication that can fall within the 51% that the amateur has to do. And uh, and that's part of what we're doing here is we're, not only are we showing off the kit technology, but also the latest technology that you can take advantage of because it's an amateur built aircraft. You know, just in the time that we announced that we were going to build this to when we actually set about building it during Oshkosh, it was about a year from when we announced it to when we you know, uh, we announced it a year in advance, but in that time, you know, Rotax came out with their 912 IS Sport engine, and Dynon came out with their touchscreen Skyview. So, you know, that's how quickly new products can be incorporated into amateur-built aircraft. So that's the cool thing about amateur building is you can incorporate just the latest stuff. There, so, so now you've convinced me. I think I might be able to do this. You know, is, is people who don't know EAA, Experimental Aircraft Association, where do I go? Where do I find information? How do I find someone to help me? Well, there's a couple of outlets that are, are readily available to the EA member. Number one are EA chapters all around the United States and the globe. We have uh, just a, about 925 chapters or so, and pretty much they're all over the country so if you want some local guidance on building your own aircraft that's a great place to start our two-day sport air workshops that we hold around the country are a great way to go from you know zero to a hundred in you know two days basically so if you don't know anything about say sheet metal construction you take one of those workshops and you'll walk out of there very confident that you can pull the, something like this off. And of course our website is filled with great information and videos uh, that can get you going. So if I, I become a member, I'm someone who likes older airplanes, uh, is there an avenue for me like to get into say Warbirds? Oh absolutely, we have, uh, a, a, we, we, we talk about the fact that we have several special interest communities as we sometimes refer to them and what we mean is we've got a whole bunch of diverse people that are part of EAA that like different things. So we have a whole segment and a, an actual uh, separate membership for our Warbirds of America. And then we have our, our Vintage Aircraft Association for those that want to restore or just fly some of the older aircraft. We have the aerobatic uh, group within EAA. We have ultralights and, and, of course, you know what it was founded on, which is home building. You know, it's really inspiring to see people behind the airplane. Uh, that We're not seeing that here. It's, it's silver. The only thing we see is these signatures. Tell us a little bit about the background, the diversity of the folks that actually put effort into this airplane I'm standing in front of. Sure. Um, well, when we did this last year, 
we knew that we could build an aircraft in a week. We, we knew that going into it. But what we wanted to do was try to open it up to as many people as possible to give them hopefully that spark that would turn into, you know, the idea that, hey, I'm going to do this, whether it's next week or a year from now or just someday. You know, for some people that had never even considered this idea, the, the, the idea of that you could build your own aircraft, I mean, that was an awakening for them. For other people, it was watching that go together in seven days was like, man, I'm finally going to do this. I'm going to pull the trigger and, and get started. What's really cool this week is with the finished aircraft here flying, you know, we've got about 90 hours on it now. You know, I've seen a number of people come through the gate, see the aircraft, rush over and start analyzing the aircraft for exactly where did they sign on the aircraft and we've, we've had several people come by today and that's really cool it's funny how the simple act of pulling one rivet on the aircraft which is what a lot of people did um can be so inspiring yeah well it's inspiring to me i mean if i i felt like i touched this thing and now it's flying that would truly inspire me to get involved in a project just like this you know, I think your story is inspiring too, but, you know, how did you get into doing experimental aircraft? For me, I'll be honest, I went to the to Oshkosh Flying, you know, Air Venture Oshkosh. I mean, it literally going there, I hadn't given a single thought. I mean, I was a pilot, but hadn't thought anything about building my own aircraft. And then I, I walked down onto the flight line and started to see the home-built designs and talk to some of the builders, and I was just like wow, this is not a crazy idea. This is a really viable way to have a new aircraft um, that's fun to fly. And, and, I mean, literally, that's what flipped the switch for me. And that, that flips the switch for me, too. It's like, gosh, I don't think I could ever build an airplane, I said to myself. I've done lots of models, but one that actually flies and me in it. And then I find people in a community that have done it, and that's EAA, and that's been terrific. Uh, Charlie, where do we find out about this website again? Uh, EAA.org. And if you want specific information on the One Week Wonder, you can go to eaa.org slash OWW. OWW. Charlie, thanks so much. It's been inspiring. Appreciate you talking to us here. Carl. Appreciate it. Carl Valeri, Sun and Fun Radio, reporting for Stuck Mike Avcast here at the 2015 U.S. Sport Aviation Expo. This is where aviation starts. Well, folks, this is Carl Valeri of the Stuck Mike Avcast reporting for Sun and Fun Radio here at the 2015 U.S. Sport Aviation Expo with Steve Pugh. He's the CEO of MVP Aero. And uh, me, looking at this at first, it's the amphibious sports car is the, the way I describe it. Welcome, Steve. How do you describe your airplane? <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks a lot, Carl. Uh, I describe it as, a, as the amphibious Jeep rather than sports car because uh, when you land on the water or on the land, come to that because it is amphibious, um, the fun doesn't stop there. We really want it to be a platform for people who want to get out there, um, particularly if you're a fisherman or a swimmer, or woman of course, um, you know, and you want to use your uh, small amphib as a platform while you're on the water or you want to camp. Uh, in it overnight that sort of thing so we're trying to bring more util utility into the light sport aircraft well in the utility hopefully you don't give a sacrifice anything in the flying and i don't think you have here looks like it's going to be a lot of fun to fly 
We hope so. That was the brief to Mike Van Stagen. We said it, we wanted to do all these things, but it better be nice to fly because um, y- you know that's that's the main uh, the main occupation of this thing. We want it to be nice to fly, and, and uh, we want it to be real nice feel to it, but also safe to fly. And that's another thing because with amphibs, of course, one of the uh, big problems is uh, if you did a gear down landing. Uh, same with an amphib float plane. That's very bad news. And we're trying to make this aircraft as safe as possible to fly so that we can, again, try and attract uh, low-time pilots as well as high-time pilots to uh, to aviation and to amphib aviation. Looks like a great design. Uh, When will you have it in production or uh, a model that we can actually fly? Right. Well, we're uh, between 12 and 18 months away from flying prototype we're aiming at four years into LSA certification and production that's uh, where we stand today and we've hit all our engineering milestones so far so all I can say is so far so good that's a that's a heck of a project but if it turns out the way it looks like here and just just for the listeners so they can see what I'm saying is that there here's an aircraft that you're I see somebody sitting in on a platform fishing from where the actual canopy lifts up above them and behind them. So they can actually sit there and actually fish from this and have a lot of room. They can also do more than that. They can camp in it, like you just said, which, which just boggles the mind. But there's, uh, it looks like a canvas type uh, of cover that is placed over it where you can actually sleep in it. And the one thing that I love is the picture you have here where they're actually in a harbor. They're, they're at like a yacht club, and they're parked at the yacht club and hanging out on a, just like any other boat in the area. So you can fish. You can camp in it. Uh, the other thing is you can fly. And tell us a little bit about the flying characteristics you're hoping for. Well, we're hoping for a, a, a stable airplane, but one that's very responsive. Um, one of the uh, design briefs is that there won't be the only cables that we'll use will be for the rudders. Uh, everything else will be tube um, because we want it to be as responsible, responsive, sorry, as possible. Um, but uh, obviously it's not going to be a super fast aircraft amphibs have got uh, you know lots of drag on them so uh, we're we're shooting for a hundred plus miles an hour as cruise but we want it to be a fun little airplane it's got to be that as well as something that you can fish from and camp in Uh, we we don't want it to be uh, just a, a chore to be flying in so who would be the target market for this? I mean, like myself, I think it's fascinating to go out in an amphibious and pull up to a beach. That's something I've always dreamed of. Uh, it would be better in, in this type of an aircraft, you know, something that, that looks a little bit more stable. And from my looking at it, I would hope you would agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. Again, that was another design brief that it had to be a very stable platform while you were on the water. Um, something that wouldn't obviously capsize. You can have two 200-pound people stood on one one side on the catwalk and uh, it, it won't move more than five degrees from uh, from level and uh, the same you can walk right to the back of the airplane and it won't tip more than five degrees and that that's a big point because it means that we can fold the wings while you're on the water you can get out of the airplane and it's a manual fold but you can un- release the pins and fold the wing back and then, as you can see in the video, if you go on to mvp.aero, um, you can see that there's a trolling motor on this, an electric motor, and you can back into your slip. 
<laughs> you thought of everything. This, I mean, how impressive would that be? Pulling up in your airplane, fold the wings, and back into your slip. That I think that's just awesome. Uh, visibility looks pretty good too. I like all the windows. It's kind of like a wraparound uh, a door-like window. And the um, the other thing that I was I was looking at is that the front looks. I have to say, it looks a little bit like a sports car. It has these lights on it, and uh, and they look like they're they're pretty significant. Well, again, that's a design feature from Mike, from Mike Van Stagen. He's very much about things uh, performing well, but also looking good. And that was a definite uh, thing that he wanted in here. He wanted people to go, whoa, look at that, as well as this is really useful and really fun. It's got to look good as well. And he's, he's tried to do that as long as it doesn't conflict with the main mission, which is utility. So he's tried to give us a bit of everything, really. Well, you know, he's, uh, he's done it right as far as looking good. It, it looks really sharp. You have to check it out. It's at mvp.aero, and that's where you can find the actual model here. Now, let's talk a little bit about price and uh, what type of engine options. So let, let's go the gamut on price. Uh, okay. Where does it start? We're talking about 189000 for the LSA certified aircraft. Um, some of the equipment for uh, like tents and uh, some other equipment which we haven't uh, released on the website yet will probably be additional cost but basically for your 189 that's the Rotax 912 IS which is pretty much the gold standard let's face it in LSA um, and uh, instrumentation VFR instrumentation which will almost certainly be glass um, we're reserving our judgment on exactly what that will be because it, it's changing every six months at the moment, it feels like. But certainly it's probably going to be a glass cockpit unless someone really, really wanted uh, steam gauges in there. And um, uh, as I say, it's 189,000 and that's with the 912 IS and uh, instrument certificate and, and um, sorry, electronic instruments. Right. Yeah, and I, I've always said these look like you could fly them IFR, and, and you, you you probably could, but I know, and rules-wise you can't. But <laughs> but but boy, I tell you, they they uh, they have some amazing instruments in these aircraft, more than the steam gauge aircraft that I that I'm used to flying in small airplanes. Uh, one thing that I, I think you've you've done is also brought back the dream of someone like myself who wants to to maybe pull out of my house or pull out of my local little airport and go to some remote island and uh, and check out things that nobody else can see. You know, we do it by boat, but I can do it by air and get there a lot quicker. And uh, I think that's awesome. The other thing, too, is, you know, this thing called the CB. That's a really old aircraft uh -huh. that people would used to, and this was my dream, is to be able to buy a CB and be able to fish from it. This, this could be the best option. Well, it's really funny you say that because I remember vividly back at home in the UK, I had a comic called the Eagle Comic, and there was a strip in there with this young buck who used to fly around doing good deeds in his airplane. And I remember vividly for one part of it, he used to fly a CB, and I didn't even know what one was, but I thought, what a cool looking airplane, and I wish I could fly, and I wish I could fly one of those. Well, I've heard it's not, not as much fun to fly as, as, you, as, as you would think, but it's really an awesome idea. Uh, it, it's not as quite as roomy. I've been you know, inside it, but uh, you've been able to use newer designs. Sure. This is an old airplane, the CB, and been able to use composites, et cetera, to make this into an aircraft 
that you do have some room with. And it, it's by using the canopy and enabling it to move. Mm-hmm. And, and doing that in a manner, I think you explained, doing it with one hand, you know, yes. being able to unlatch it and also latch that. I think that's awesome. Anything else about this aircraft we need to know as far as, uh, say, production? And if I want to buy one, what do I do? Okay, well, I think uh, in terms of uh, manufacture, this is a mainly carbon fiber airplane. It's obviously composite, um, and uh, but we're also designing for durability. So it will be a fabric-covered flying surface, and that's deliberate rather than having a carbon fiber wrap because amphibs do get a lot of damage. If you're out there, out there, and you, I don't know, get blown onto some trees on a river bank or something like that. We want you to be able to repair it um, relatively easily. It's not going to be catastrophic. So there's been a lot of thought gone into making this uh, airplane as durable as possible. So you can, so you can use it without worrying about it. Uh, we don't want it to be fragile. Um, and in terms of how you can buy it, again, um, get on the website um, that we're reserving positions at the moment. There's a fully refundable $5,000 deposit where the money goes into escrow. Um, or uh, if you're really brave, there's $100,000 Pathfinder positions that people can, uh, can sign on for. But if you're interested in us at all, just come on the website, check us out. You can see my face and a lot of other faces as well. Um, it's, a, it's a great team and a growing team. And there's some real, real talent in there. Probably I'm one of the dumbest people on the uh, on the team. There's some there's some real I won't say rocket scientists, but they're getting close. <laughs> well, great, that's good to know. I mean, and, and and you're definitely not the dumbest person around here. You run a few companies before, but you, the other cool thing I want to point out is on that website there's some videos. So go go check those out. It's uh, mvp.aero. And speaking of which, this is uh, we're at the U.S. Sport Aviation Expo. Uh, really, ex- I love this show. And and what's neat about the show is this is kind of like where aviation starts small airplanes affordable aircraft the price you gave doesn't seem that affordable but try to go out and buy another amphibious for that type of a price it's, it's gonna be a lot more money that's for sure this is light sport this is something that you can get into at a pretty reasonable price wouldn't you agree i i think so i mean obviously it, it's not spare change for any but well for most of us it's it's not cheap but on the other hand that's what we're trying to do is put as much utility into this it's not just your airplane it's your boat it's your camping platform it's it's a lot more of what you want to do with your leisure time and it's interesting as well Carl that uh, we've had a lot of reaction through the website from the video you mentioned and from uh, social media you know Twitter and Facebook we've uh, attracted a lot of attention from non-pilots and I've had quotes like wow if I could have one of these I, I would think about learning to fly uh, which we think is significant and one of the things that we're excited about that we want to drive more people into this this uh, some people call it an addiction this this pastime for some of us career for others of flying we want more people in it well, amen to that. You know, if you're the young kid looking at the uh, comic book and looking at the CB and imagining flying and, and actually fishing off that airplane, this would be a great option. MVP.Aero, this is Carl Valeri at the U.S. Sport Aviation Expo 2015 with Stephen Pugh, the CEO. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot, Carl. I really appreciate it. 
You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.